just imagine. The mightiest heroes of our time. Superman. Batman. Flash. Green Lantern. Wonder Woman. Hot Girl. John Jones, Manhunter from Mars. Have banded together as the Justice League to stamp out the forces of evil wherever and whenever they appear. The Fire and Water Podcast Network proudly presents... JLU Cast. Hello and welcome to the JLU Cast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, covering the animated adventures of the Justice League and their eventual evolution into Justice League Unlimited. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Franklin. And I'm Chris Franklin, and we're back after a very long hiatus. We've returned to the Watchtower, and we are ready to talk about some DCAU goodness. We've covered all of Justice League, and now we're ready to go big or go home with Justice League Unlimited. But before we jump forward, we thought we'd take this opportunity to go back and look at the seeds of the connected DC animated universe. So today we'll be discussing the first two team-ups on the two earliest DCAU shows, Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series. These episodes broaden the universe by introducing other DC heroes not connected to the Batman or Superman franchises, namely Justice Leaguers, Zatanna, and The Flash, respectively. And what better way to discuss these episodes than teaming up with some friends of ours? So Ryan Daly will be joining us to discuss a character he knows a thing or two about, Zatanna, and Steve Givens will speed by to discuss a favorite character of his, The Flash. We'll take a quick break, then head to Gotham to talk about the Mistress of Magic with the Fire and Water Network's own Ryan Daly. Don't go away. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure, gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? (laughs) Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. (laughs) Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. (laughs) Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. Okay, we're back. And as promised, we've reunited the Nightcast cast plus one by welcoming Ryan Daly to the show. Hey, Ryan. Woo! <laughs> we're here, yay! We're we're together. We're we're not going to crash the Batman family reunion that that Paul and Sean are doing. Even though I hear they've got really good potato salad, uh, we're <laughs> we're on JLU cast, and uh, we're going to talk about a character. I think this episode was tailor made for you uh, because uh, you have hosted podcasts based on both characters that are in this animated episode we're about to discuss, right? Uh, yeah, and I love me some Michael York, too. I, I figured that's where you were going with this one, his, his voice work. Yeah. You're a big Logan's Run fan, right? Or <laughs> Basil Exposition, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I will say, you know, I I know Zatanna in Black Canary are two of your favorite characters because you had the Power of Fishnets podcast, but I, I am sorry that they never actually wore fishnets in the Timverse. I'm really sorry. I, but you know what? It just it 
this was like a, an appetizer, but once I got to the real versions in the comics, that just made it so much sweeter. So. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> so did you watch this episode, Zatanna, when it first aired? Yep, I was. I, I started watching. I, I we may have talked about this before on the other show, but I was watching Batman the animated series from, I guess technically the second episode. Um, I, I missed Cat in the Claw Part One when it first aired, um, but I was jumping on board right away, and I was watching them every afternoon, and I was taping them. Uh, I actually had like two or three blank VHS tapes just full of almost every episode um, for the first couple of seasons, at least until like once it went on to Saturdays, I, I might have kind of like slowed down or it, it, certainly I stopped like by the time it got to the new adventures. Um, but yeah, I was watching this one. I, I saw this when it first aired. Um, and uh, to the unspoken question, this was actually my uh, my introduction to the character of Zatanna. Oh wow! Um, just because the the DC comics that I had read up to that point didn't feature her, um, and I just I, I wasn't you know I wasn't reading Who's Who or anything like that. I just didn't know about the broader sphere. I was collecting Batman and Detective Comics and all of the other uh, you know comics around there, and then a few other DC events. I would like sample like issues of Hawkman or other things. You know, I'd try an issue of of Superman around then, but. Uh, no, nothing. I, if I ever saw her, she didn't, she didn't register on my radar. So I, for all intents and purposes, I thought she was a made up character just for the show. Um, until gosh, you know what? It might've actually been, (laughs) this might come off as controversial. It wouldn't surprise me, but it might've been identity crisis was the first DC comic I read (laughs) with Zatanna in it. At least that I remember her being a, a significant part of the story. Well, they didn't do anything with her for like a good decade, pretty much. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's no wonder. I mean, she was pretty pretty much absent in the nineties, unless unless I'm forgetting something. I mean, I know she had appearances, but she was literally just one of those characters that would appear like when they needed a magic character. They, you know, and because Doctor Fate was off the table at that point, because they turned him into Fate with the stupid knife and the book right. and all that junk. Uh, you yeah, know, after after the crisis, they gave her a mini series where they really just overhauled her whole look, her whole shtick, but it just didn't didn't connect, and they didn't do anything after that. Yeah, they did that Secret Origins thing where they gave her that other yep. where she got the tuxedo outfit, and and yeah, but after that, they didn't do a whole. I, I remember the. Uh, the Eric Schauderer, uh, who's who loose leaf page that's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And th- that's really the only nineties image of Zatanna that I, that I can think of just off the top of my head. I'm sure our listeners will let us know. No, no, she was in this, this and this. I mean, I think she showed up when they fixed Metropolis in, in the Superman books after Lex destroyed it. I think she was part of that, that, uh, group, but that's, that's it. So it's no wonder. Yeah. That you didn't have any exposure to her because. This was as much exposure as she got, but hey, she got to be the first DC Universe crossover character to make it onto Batman the Animated Series. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, this is before before he met Superman, before he met anybody. Mm-hmm. This is this is it. This is where the the great she is the Nick Fury of the uh, <laughs> of the DC animated universe. But or, but because of that, I mean, I didn't I didn't come into the episode seeing it as a crossover with introducing another DC character. I saw this as an episode that explored Batman's past as an escape artist. Um just kind of like filling out that little part of his backstory and that like part of his 
his arsenal that doesn't include like his actual gadgets but his abilities for escaping tricks for ventriloquism the thing the theatrical things that he learned that he studied and just i was like okay yeah so he started with this guy zatara and now we got his daughter and this is a cool little flirtatious you know uh, you know kind of bond that they have um and it wasn't until a decade or so later that i had a different context for the episode and for the character yeah yeah that's cool that's really cool well, I, I guess we need to like go over the details of when this aired and all that stuff. So let's do that, and then we'll jump back into the discussion. And Cindy and I will provide a brief, a very brief synopsis. I, I'm being brief this season. I'm not, I'm not rewriting the episode. That's my pledge. Wait for it. <laughs> Satana originally aired February second, nineteen ninety three. It was written by Paul Dini, directed by Dick Sebast and Dan Reba. Uh, Dan Reba was uncredited because Dick Sebast quit. Uh, halfway through this episode and he finished it. Mm. So, uh, music was by Narita Tyson Chu and Peter Tomashek. And I had forgotten that Shirley Walker didn't do every single episode of Batman the animated series. In my mind, I thought she did, but I forgot that. So, uh, our voice cast we had, of course, Kevin Conroy as Batman and, of course, Ephraim Zimless Jr. as Alfred. Julie Brown was Zatanna. Zale Kessler was Fontswater. Vincent Schiavelli was Zatara. Bruce W. Tim himself was Red, the henchman. And Michael York, as Ryan pointed out, was Dr. Montague Kane. Bruce Wayne and Alfred attend a performance of Zatanna, the magician in front of the Gotham Mint building. Bruce flashes back to when he trained with Zatanna's father, Zatara, who taught him how to be a great escape artist. Bruce, or John Smith, as he was known, became close with Zatanna, who he, and only he, called Zana. But still, his mission called, and he left her behind to complete his quest for knowledge on the road to becoming Batman. In the present, Zatanna brings the director of the Mint and noted magic debunker Montague Kane on stage to watch her perform her greatest trick, making the Mint and $10 million setting within its open doors disappear. The trick works perfectly, but when she makes the building reappear, the money is gone. Being the only suspect, Satana is arrested, but since Batman knows she's innocent, he springs her, and the two attempt to solve the case of who stole the loot and framed her. Satana wonders why the Dark Knight is so interested in helping her, but she doesn't have time to ponder too long, as they quickly learn it was Montague Kane himself, who with his intimate knowledge of stage magic, set her up. After nearly dying in his booby-trapped home, the heroes find Kane and his two henchmen flying to foreign shores on his flying wing. They are captured and chained, but before they are tossed out of the plane, Batman tells Zana to trust him. Using skills they learned from Zatara, they manage to escape and eventually capture Kane and his goons, handing them over to the police. As they part, Zatanna gets to turn the tables on the Cape Crusader, disappearing mysteriously before his eyes. She does leave him with an autographed poster signed, Love, Zatanna. So I will point out that you said, Cindy said Zatanna, and we've been saying Zatanna. That's just that's just the nature of the character. Nobody, everybody says her name different. So, <laughs> well, I'm saying it right. So there. Well, they say Zatanna in the show. That's why I'm saying Zatanna. So, and that's like where Ryan got it right. So, yeah, yeah. So, so, Meh. so, what did you guys think of this episode, Ryan? I mean, we'll start with you, Ryan. I really enjoy this episode. I mean, that's. I, I could you could copy and paste that response to every episode of Batman the Animated Series. Honestly, like the like the worst episodes of Batman the Animated Series are really 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 good TV. Um, you know, hard stop there. Uh, and this is a fun one. 
Um, it, it was, it was, I mean, I, I haven't seen this episode in almost a decade. You know, I just, I, I haven't watched the show for a while, but coming back to it, I remembered almost everything. It just, it stuck in my mind because it was a memorable one. It's kind of funny. If you approach this episode as a Zatanna fan, if like that's your, your emphasis, there might be a few things that, kind of feel a little bit underserved the fact that they don't they don't treat her as magic at all it is just stagecraft it is just performative mm-hmm. um they really kind of ground it like that there's no backwards talking spells or anything like that it's it's all gimmicks and tricks and illusions um but that that in itself isn't a problem but she really i mean she is a a sidekick to Batman for his adventures to help her out. Uh, she is a, a damsel a couple of times, but um, if you if you're taking it as a straight Batman story that where it's just exploring this you know really un uncharted area of his backstory and like how he he trained and everything, then it's really really good. Um, I I think all told it's a it's a lot of fun. Great voice work. They always had great voice work. I think Julie Brown. It has a very, very expressive voice, so there's just something really instantly friendly and trustworthy and kind of sexy about her uh, that that she brings to the the voice of Zatanna, and that just makes the character instantly likable. Um, and she has a great chemistry with Batman, the way they play off of each other. Um, it's, it's fun to see him loosen up a little bit around her, uh, even if it's in really kind of minor ways. Um, and Michael York has just this just larger than life type of voice for this character who, I don't know about you guys, and we might have need to get Rob Kelly on this, but I think Monica Kane, something about the look of his face, like the shape of it, reminds me of Orson Welles. Yes. 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 Like I, he, he kind of had that look, and I wonder if they were going a little bit for that. Yeah, I think they were. I think they were going for the, his name being Kane too. I think he was mm-hmm, definitely. Mm-hmm. He was definitely. Uh, they were. You know, I'm surprised they didn't get uh, uh, Maurice Lamarche to voice voice him and do his his brain his brain yeah. voice, right? You know. So, yeah. but, but, but when you can get Michael York, why wouldn't you, right? So, uh, yeah, I definitely think that that's that's the thing that that they were going for was was the Kane and. I, what did you think of the episode overall, Cindy? I mean, I really liked it. Now, like Ryan, I mean, there was a couple of instances where she was the damsel in distress where she screamed. And I'm like, she's been touring on her own around the world. I don't know if she'd be a screamer. Yeah. You but know? I don't know if she got involved in crime before. I mean, she's not a crime fighter in, in this universe yet. So... I don't know. I I can kind of see why she would like when they throw her out of a plane. I could see why she screamed, but (laughs) I I think the thing about that, and and you're right, like Cindy, like that that jumped out at me too when she's screaming because she still has the presence of mind to hold onto the lock picks, and she's still working on that as she's falling. So that kind of seemed to me like. Mm, those seem like she wouldn't have been screaming at that moment if she was still picking the locks and working on that. Uh huh. Yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah. Uh, what did you guys think of? Um, well, I know I know what you thought of Julie Brown because you said you liked her. Were you aware of Julie Brown uh, before this, or are you really familiar with her her work, Ryan? A little bit. I knew of her as a, as a personality, as a comedian. Um, I I knew. Did I know at the time that she had wrote Earth Girls Are Easy? I knew she was involved in that, in the movie. 
Um, I knew she was just like a comedian performance. Like I, I always got confused because of downtown Julie Brown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were both know. on MTV. So exactly. And I was like, these are clearly not the same person. No, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I, I knew I was aware of her, but it was one of those things where like when I heard the voice, I didn't instantly picture like the face didn't instantly click to mind or something. Um, but yeah, I, I, I knew of her by name. Yeah, we, I remember her from MTV. She was all over MTV in the late eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I liked her. I thought she was funny. You know, she was kind of, she was, you know, she was cute. You know, she was attractive and, and, uh, you know, she, uh, she popped up all over the place back then. And, and yeah, it was confusing because she, I think, was on MTV before downtown Julie Brown. So when, see, I have no idea what she looks like. I'll be honest because she's the neighbor on the middle. Oh. The one that's the the one that left her husband at the end of the show. Okay. Yeah, that's Julie Brown. Okay. Yeah, that's that's Julie. Well, Brown. you have to think. You know, I grew up in the in the county where I literally had four channels: ABC, NBC, <laughs> CBS, and sometimes KET if the weather was right. Yeah, the PBS station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was it. So yeah. M- yeah, no MTV for Cindy till she started hanging out at my house. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, but yeah, she, she was on the middle as a recurring okay. character. And we, now, okay. we watched, we love the middles almost like a, like a, it's an alternate universe documentary of her life, basically. So, uh, that's, that's why, we, that's why we did. she did, she had a very short lived sketch comedy show, I think right after this episode of Batman too. That had a young Jennifer Aniston before she did Friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Tom Kenny before. Well, yeah, it would have been before he started doing SpongeBob SquarePants. And I think Wayne Knight uh, Newman from Seinfeld and, and Jurassic Park. I think he was on it too. Right, right. I remember. I remember that. I was going through IMDb and some different things popped up. And yeah, she's she's been very active. She's just kind of. I mean, she's not. I guess she hasn't like totally like went over but she's always been you know she's always bounced from project to project i always kind of think of her as like the uh almost like an american tracy ullman you know mm-hmm. she's kind of got that same kind of vibe you know mm-hmm. and they both wrote crazy pop songs that actually right. like went over fairly well too so <laughs> but but yeah as a, and there's like as i mentioned uh she wrote earth girls are easy with jeff Coldwell and gina davis but and i think she produced the movie and i'm pretty sure like the other like the the co-stars that hadn't done anything up to that point was Jim Carrey and Damon Wayans were in that. And I think she discovered them. Yeah. Like just on like the comedy circuit and look at what happened to their careers after that. Yeah. She should get a cut of every time they, especially <laughs> Jim Carrey, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Apparently Paul Dini wrote the part with her in mind, he said. So I guess I don't, he was aware of her or perhaps even friends with her because we know how that worked with uh, Harley Quinn as well. Cause he wrote that character with Arlene Sorkin in mind. So, um, so one of the things uh, that uh, I always thought was really cool about this episode is not only did we get Zatanna, but we do get another DC character, Zatara. So what did you think about uh, about her training with uh, or with Bruce training with uh, Zatara? No, but Zatara, I, I liked him. He's like, I showed you things that I never showed anybody else. And, you know, you just kind of. You know, there's a nice father son thing going on there. So. Yeah, I kind I, you kind of felt like he he Bruce could have stayed there easily with mm-hmm. them and 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 become part of the become part of the family. You know, <laughs> I think he kind of it's like, hey, stick around. You know, it's like I could I could use uh I could use a son in law to pass this on to <laughs> type type vibe about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I thought it was I thought it was a great little moment. I, again, you mentioned the, the voice by Vincent Chiavelli, um, who was a great. Uh, um, character actor who I've seen a ton of things. Um, I, 
I just with very few lines, there was this instant kind of bond and and almost intimacy between them that you saw that something like Zatara just recognized something special about this guy because the way he leans like like Bruce told them that his name was John Smith mm-hmm. and. Zatara kind of leans into that at one point. He's like, John, he's like, I know that's not your name. He's like, you yeah. were hiding so much from it. He's like, he's like, you approached me. You wanted to learn everything about being a skate artist and you had no interest in being a performer. It's like, so you've got, there's, you, you've got something else going on and I should have thrown you out, but I just felt that there was something special about you, something about this judge. And it just, that's just a really very cool bit of characterization that just, it without, really showing anything else about Zatara, you just kind of know what type of man this guy is, that he was willing to be a mentor because he's like, I recognize that this guy has something maybe in his destiny, a, a drive where he's going to learn this stuff one way or another. So I might as well teach him the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has nothing to do with stage magic. It's just, there's something else going on in this kid, but he needs my direction at this point in his life. Um, maybe because he could be dangerous if not, if without my guidance. Um, and I think it's great because we kind of see a little bit of that from Zana at the very end, um, kind of playing into that same thing where once they're safe and, and the and the giant wing has landed and they, they're taking away Mami Kukane, she has this very kind of non-judgmental approach to him. She's just like she, like whatever they might have had, whatever they could have been romantically or familially in the past, she's like just – what happened to you that made you put that on? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. she's like she like she trusts. She's like there's something like uh, you're you're doing important work. I just wish I could understand where the pain comes from so that I could help you. Yeah. Uh, and he's like he's like I can't tell you. Just trust me that it's significant. <laughs> and yeah. she's willing to accept that. And that's just like really really nice bits that make these characters instantly endearing even if you're only seeing them for a couple seconds yeah yeah it's it's the his performance is just his voice is just like perfect for the character and i mean zatara is like you know he's he's in action comics number one i mean you don't go back a whole lot farther in dc in dc continuity than action comics number one so uh that i mean just to have him in there and that was actually uh, I guess how Paul Dini come upon this episode, he, he figured Bruce had to learn to be an escape artist from someone. Uh, so, you know, why not Zatara, uh, who at the time would have a cute 16 year old daughter to crush on Bruce. And, uh, in, I read this in Cinefantastique magazine, volume 24, number six, which is a huge Batman issue. If you can ever find that, it's got a, it's got every episode of Batman, the animated series synopsized up until then, the Batman 66 show. It's, it's like a Batman Bible. So if you can find that issue, I, I definitely would, but yours is dog-eared and killed. well, I, that's, I'm on the second copy of it I was gonna say. because my old copy died or disappeared somewhere. So, uh, but so Paul, then he pitched this to Paul Levitz, who was of course the, at that point, maybe the, was he the vice president, maybe co-publisher? He, he ended up being eventually the publisher and president, but I think Jeanette Kahn was still there. But anyway, he was the second in command of DC Comics. Uh, and he said, uh, this is what Paul Levitt said, that's wonderful. That's better than anything we've ever done with Zatanna. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, and it just goes to show you how involved, you know, they, they had to pitch whenever they went beyond what they've already what what they'd already had set out to do with their series, they always had to go to Paul Levitz. I mean, mm-hmm. Paul Levitz was the one that said, 
I know you cannot use the Justice Society in that way in Legends, mm-hmm. but why don't you come up with some kind of analog characters? Right. Because we really don't want you killing off the, you know, the JSA in the way you're going to do right. it. Right. <laughs> so it actually worked better. It was kind of a Watchmen type thing. Don't use the Charlton yeah. characters. Use, yeah. make up your own based on the Charlton characters. But yeah, I, uh, Vincent Schiavelli, I probably, Chiavelli or how you pronounce it. I'm, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but I, I always liked, him and, and everything. I always think of him as two, as, even though he's a Batman, he's in Batman Returns as the organ grinder that's the, yes, the, the field leader of the Red Triangle Circus Gang. And yep. he's, he's great in that. I always think of him as either Lane Meyer's teacher who takes out Beth. <laughs> Oh yeah. And better off dead. <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> that is, that would not fly nowadays. No. no. Uh, it shouldn't have fl- flown back in 1985 or whatever it was when that movie came out. But he's also the angry subway spirit that teaches Patrick Swayze the ropes of being dead and ghost. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So I think of those two roles and he's great in, in, in both of those. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how do we feel about this young romance between, uh, between John Smith and, and, and Zana? What do you think, Ron? I like it. I like the, the flirtatiousness of it. I mean, they don't really explore any more than that. Obviously this is, part of his life where he's he's too driven and he's too focused to let himself be distracted by feelings and emotions um and you know he he has the the dark brooding qualities about him that make him desirable to women as so i've heard yeah. um i can fix him <laughs> yeah exactly. i can fix him <laughs> Plus okay. he's a bazillionaire? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't met Andrea Beaumont yet, so he hasn't yeah, you know, that's true. That's he's true, like, yeah. it's this doesn't hurt as much anymore, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Cindy? Oh, I mean it, it's your your typical, you know, hey, you throw two young people together and you know, unless they're just a complete douche, they're gonna be a little ooh. Yeah, he's he's wearing a wife beater and she's got on shorty shorts and mm-hmm. yeah, they're a cute little and Zatara just leaves the two alone together. That's one way to get him to stay. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, he Zatara recognizes John Smith is no John Constantine. He doesn't have to be so careful around, with his daughter around this one. That's like, true. Yeah, I forgot about it. He can that. recognize a good egg from a bad one. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably wish he'd stuck she'd stuck with John Smith versus Constantine, yeah. <laughs> so what, what was it, the line in the movie Speed, you know, relationships based on intense situations and you know they're they're practicing death-defying escape tricks every night. So, right? Yes. Course. That's of true. Of course, that's gonna the adrenaline pumping is gonna you know be a little uh, aphrodisiac in of in of itself. But. There's the kinky bits with bondage and handcuffs too. So yeah. you know, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Plus, and I I led with this when I was doing my podcast. The the Zatanna's look, the tuxedo top and bare legs. It, well, she says nylons, um, but uh, yeah, it it works for me. It it does something, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I won't be. I'm, I Cindy's gonna punch me, but I mean, I. When Elizabeth Olsen had that outfit on on WandaVision, I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you Punch all miss too. the fishnets? I, I mean, I realized that it was probably an animation choice. I yeah. get that. But still. I Like Brave and the Bold, like actually used fishnets on Black Canary, right? They actually gave her mm-hmm. fishnets. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they but I think that's by the t- that point they had digital right. effects able to like, you know correctly draw them they didn't have to draw them by hand every time or if they did they 
they did something where they could track it and make it consistent or I don't know exactly what they do. But yeah, I, I'd rather had them not here than to be like this, weird, the weird and distractingly messy because even in comics from panel to panel, most artists can't draw them consistently, you know, right. and, and right. they, I mean, I've I, just a few times I've tried to draw black canary and, and Satana just as, you know, fun for fun. And, and for different things, I've, I've, you know, I have to sit there and think, okay, how, how much, how, how wide do I want to make the, the space between each line? You know, how, right. how big's the net? You know, so yeah, I, I'm okay. What about you? I thought, I, I think it's fine. I'm part of it now looking at, like, this was my first time seeing the character, so I didn't know better. So this was, like, kind of my first reference for her. And I think it looks fine. I think it works for the simplicity of the kind of deco look that, that defined the Tim style in this. Um, it, I think it works a little bit better. Yeah, giving trying to do the fish hook or fishnet design would have been a little bit too much, maybe a little bit too messy uh, for the character as she is. Um, and between the two, between Zatanna and Black Canary, I think the fishnets are more of a signature for Dinah than they are for Zana. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if they it, not not having them in this case didn't bother me at all. Okay. Yeah, I I do like talking about the the flashback. We got the nice bit where she handcuffs him to the radiator, turns around, mm-hmm. and he's gone. He's 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 he Gordon her. You know he hasn't yeah, yeah. He, he hasn't done that to Jim Gordon yet, but he Jim Gordoned her basically. <laughs> and then she does it to him at the end, which is a nice yeah. nice callback. Yeah. I like that a lot. So, well, I, I thought I thought it was perfect because the other thing that I was going to get to, like in looking at this as a Zatanna episode, is. We don't see her using a lot of her tricks. I mean, we, again, because they're making sure that this is not a magic based character. This is just all performative. And it is the Batman show. So we see Batman using his gimmicks to escape from the, the death trap with the spiked walls closing in. And, uh, mm-hmm. he very cleverly uses the acid to break down some of the spikes so he can jam one down and, and lock it in position so then they can climb up and escape in time. And then, she helps him pick the locks when they're thrown off of the um, off of the plane when he's holding onto the cargo netting, so they're dangling there, um, which leads to actually, despite this being the Zatanna episode, and I talked about how much I love Julie Brown's voice. I think Michael York has my favorite line reading in the episode, which is when Batman knocks him down and Michael York is dangling on the cargo net with them, and the bad guys, his goons, start fight, shooting down at them. When he's like, "Stop firing, you fools!" <laughs> How, how desperate and frantic he sounds when he's screaming that. I love his voice in that one. Yeah, that, that yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then like when 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 Zatanna finally catches him in the cockpit and she's got the great liner, she goes, Don't you know a magician never does the same trick twice and just belts him in the mouth and, yep. and takes him down. It's a great little hero moment to give her, but I kinda wish there was a flourish. There was some kind of presto you know smoke effect or something like that and i was like okay i wish for for the sake of her stagecraft i wish they had done gone a little bit bigger with that moment but they do give her the out when as chris as you mentioned she gets to pull the gore the the batman she does the gordon trick on batman yeah when he's asking her if she wants a ride and she just disappears in a puff of smoke leaving the poster behind yeah, that that's true. I mean, I guess they probably didn't want to do uh, the puff of smoke because they wanted to leave that for the end. But if she right. had just like appeared behind him in the plane cockpit and then punched right. him, that would have been like you said, a little more, a little more uh, panache, you know, that right. that, that she, uh, you know, magical panache. And I, 
I never, I think we hear her say one line backwards when she makes the mint reappear, right? That's the only time I caught it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not even a part of her gimmick, but, but, you know, I mean, let's face it, backwards, saying a spell backwards works much better on a comic page than it does out loud. Because uh-huh. <laughs> yes, yes, you can read it and see, oh, that says this backwards. But when you hear it, you're like, what is she saying? You know, I so. <laughs> Zoom Yukonori and I argued about that, about whether or not silent letters are emphasized when you're doing a spell backwards. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, so how do you feel about her not – of course, you didn't know at the time that Zatanna was a sorceress – in the comics, or you know, a, a actual used actual magic right. in the in the comics, but now that you know that, looking back, how do you feel about them not giving her actual magical powers? Uh again, because as this works as a one-off in the world of a Batman story, you know, it's it's kind of my mind doesn't have a problem separating this one from her later appearances in something like the this little piggy episode of Justice League. Um, which is a phenomenal episode, and I can't wait for you guys to cover that. Might be my favorite episode of the whole Timverse. Well, you should um, come back and cover it with us. No, that's too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Maybe we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. No, I, I would, I would love to. I'd okay, love to, okay. Because we can talk about Bat- Batman singing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Am I blue? Um, Am I blue? But um, <laughs> yeah, no. So, but yeah, I. I, I have no problem separating that this is the same or not, or she's she's not a sorceress in this one. She doesn't have magic. This is just, you know, in the multiverse, the else world where th- this is just a, a slightly different origin for the character. It's fine. I, I like this one as it is. Again, this isn't this isn't necessarily the Zatanna story. This is just a chapter in Batman's life, and it works for her to just be a stage performer and not an, an actual magic user. So it's yeah. fine. I think I think it works. What I, what do you think, Cindy? Oh, I do. I mean, for this, I mean, this is just where he learned to be an escape artist. This is what happened to the daughter later on. You know, I mean, it's just you know, it works. Yeah, and I, you know, the I mean, if you ca- if you call a guy dressing up in a bat costume leaping off rooftops grounded, then <laughs> Batman the Animated Series was definitely grounded at this point. There were no outright science fiction there were no aliens there were no you know this was pre-superman um so once once they introduced superman and said they were in the same world that kind of opened the Uh the the floodgates for you know more magical things like we saw in the new batman adventures with the demon when when etrigan was on there uh but you know here we don't we don't have that so it it makes sense i think it would have been kind of strange to at this point to uh to 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 have her there I, i do think it's funny that i always think it's funny when batman just blatantly, you know, he he takes her out of police custody, he gets her right out of one of those giant armored uh, rolling, what are, whatever those giant rolling armored SWAT things that they always <laughs> use on Batman the Animated right. Series. He takes her right out of it. So that's got to be a mess for Jim Gordon to clean up later. I mean. <laughs> Think of the paperwork. <laughs> and she's not in any way, you know, when they deliver Kane over to the police She's not taken into custody as well and question. No, they just let her go because she's with Batman and <laughs> it makes it okay. It, it's, it's, it makes it okay. <laughs> I would, 
would think by now the Gotham City Police has some kind of like form letters for like <laughs> evidence and procedure just to make it passable that they can take this in front of a judge for indictment and everything like that. They've got to have some kind of shorthand where all right, Batman was involved. What do we say in the official report? You're right. <laughs> I, I do. I do have to point out that, and I think you use this. I think you used this in the promotions for uh, of Power Fishnets, Ryan, but her Zatanna's line of, why do you want to help some leggy dame in nylons? Or did I answer my own question? <laughs> <laughs> Mwah, yeah, that's just awesome. <laughs> now, I, I will say that the whole thing about, you know, they she makes the building disappear and, it, you know, they show the doors are open. There's all this money in front of these coins and, Sorry, I, I'm, I'm talking with my hands and almost black Cindy in the face. Again. I, yeah, I accidentally hit her in the nose with my elbow the other night and said bad. So I'm sorry. Oh. And my, no, my nose literally is swollen. <laughs> yeah, oh. I mean, it's it's still sore today. Sorry. And but, I'm going to make him remember this from now on. Yeah. Now it's on I part. told my mommy. Yeah, yeah. She said, he, he busted my nose. That's what she said. I'm like, I did not bust your nose. It's not, there's no break in your skin. There's no, you know, bloody, it didn't bloody or I did not bust your nose. I hit, accidentally hit you in the nose. Can we get back to the show now? <laughs> Hang on. Cindy, I, I, yeah, I can talk. It's like one time I was actually, I was laying in bed just on the verge of falling asleep. And this is when we were first, we, we first got together. Angie came in to give me like a little, kiss like a little like wake up or, or good night kiss or something like that uh-huh. and i was like just like on the verge of sleep and just like the the sudden sensation of feeling her like jarred me that my hand went up and kind of backhanded her oh. <laughs> across the face like oh. that was the response she kissed me and i would slap i was like wait what happened what happened <laughs> well i was sound asleep and that's how i got woke up is somebody whacking me in the nose oh, yeah. the cat woke me up to get feed him and i got up and fed the cat and i come back in bed and i thought she was turned the other way and farther away from me and i put my elbow up to put my arm under the pillow and i just like uppercutted her with my elbow basically (laughs) yep sorry i one time andrew come to to our when he was like about five he come he came over to my side of the bed and wanted me for something and he was scared or something like that and i didn't i guess i was dreaming or something and i like slammed him up against the wall (laughs) i felt awful when i woke up i'm like oh my god i'm sorry He run off, remember? Yeah. Chasing. And you know, he's never, neither one of the kids have ever come to your side of the bed again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Make sure all of these horror stories stay in the episode. Yeah, there you go. We'll put them in the, in the, uh, in the, after the credits. Yeah, we'll put it, yeah. Uh, it'll be better than Rogers the musical. So, you know. <laughs> but when she makes the, she makes the building disappear and you see the money inside and you see all these, you know, these big giant coins, which look like Batman could, put them in the bat cave you know right uh and, and then when it when it uh reappears all the coin the giant coins are still there but the money's all gone now they later f- show that um that there is a giant mirror underneath a, a covering that looks like a giant coin it's like foil or something and that's how he projected a hologram that that the money was never there it had been stolen before but you know what the the coin was the coin was there. Did they did they move the other coin? I mean, that's what I want to know. You know what I'm saying? No, the cover got put on in that time, that small time frame in between because she had like a minute and a half. And you think about it, just shwink, went over top of it. Mm, okay, 
Okay. I, I, I'll be honest. I was kind of like, does that, does that track, maybe it was just me. I mean, it was just you. Okay. So is that track for you, Ryan? Does that, did that make sense? Yeah. I didn't think about it that much. I, yeah, okay. the explanation worked for me. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. So it's just me. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Kane, when they capture them, of course he has to offer to spare Zatanna if she's willing to, basically give herself over to him, which is, of course, very creepy. And then when she, you know, digs her heel into his foot uh-huh. and knocks her down, at some point he grabs her by the leg. And uh-huh. there's some very creepy, he's very handsy and very creepy. It's, it's yeah, I think it reads even creepier nowadays than it did back then. But, I mean, think about it. That's what would happen, you yeah. know, and... Yeah, I, I know, but it's, yeah, it's just like, if you think about it, that's, if you really think about the underpinnings of that, that's, that's pretty creepy for a cartoon basically aimed at kids. Yeah. <laughs> and you gotta think, she's like 25 and he's probably like 50. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he's the type of character, yeah, you get the, you get the impression very easily that his, his, Ego and the main thing driving him is the sense of like dominating people and proving that he's superior to them and in size or intellect or something like that. And if he can do that physically with a woman, I'm sure that's probably, yeah, right around his, his ballpark. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I mean, it's not overt and it's, I mean, if you don't, you're not watching it for a podcast and the kid's not going to pick up on it, but it reads as like, ugh, you know, real. He's smarmy. Yeah. He's, he's extra smarmy. Yeah. And is yeah, he's just, and the, the look of the character, not that, I mean, they made him look like Orson Welles, I know, but he does, he does have this kind of leering look about him too, mm. just the way they draw his eyes. And he's got real pale eyes and yeah, it's, it's kind of bleh. One thing I should bring up, of course, is that he's in a flying wing. That's his thing. And Bruce, Tim, and company apparently really like that because Joker has one right. in the world's finest episode. So, <laughs> Yeah, that he paints with the teeth on it. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's interesting that, of course, typically closed off and, you know, socially damaged Batman does not tell Zatanna that he's her old friend until they're about to die. You know, he's, trust me, Zana, you know, right. <laughs> he could have just said, Hey, it's me. Remember me? You know, or something, but <laughs> no, not Batman, not Batman. So, uh, yeah, I, I like that, uh, you know, Batman smartly catches his foot on the cargo net and because I, you know, he could have just like got his hands free, used the grapple gun, but I like that they used the, the actual, the the props inside the plane you know yeah. it, it, it's, mm-hmm. so, it's a very indiana jones type yeah. save you yeah. know that yeah yeah it, it just feels like you could see this happening with indiana jones and, and marion you know ravenwood uh, it, it would totally well isn't there way. a similar scene in that new movie that has tom holland in it he's going out oh yeah you're the uncharted right movie. the uncharted yeah, thank movie you. okay i couldn't think of the title you're right they're hanging on that cargo net yeah. and he's like fighting back and forth with those guys on it you're exactly right yeah they must have watched this show yeah <laughs> you read the when i was watching i had the same kind of feeling. and part of it is just like the wing feels like something out of the 30s or 40s you know yes. it feels kind of very very retro noir and i was like yeah this does have kind of a indiana jones and marion ravenwood type of thing like them working together in this well, um, it also put me in mind of like yeah. the Rocketeer when they're on the, when they're, when they're yeah. on the Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
definitely. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah that that fits in perfectly, especially with all the Art Deco and yeah, you know, or the mm-hmm. Sky Captain, Sky yeah. Captain, the World of Tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh yeah it's it's cool that they uh you know that uh, it just it just made it work better than you know it, it made it more interesting. It made it the rescue more. Of a feat than just yeah oh he got his hands free grab his grapple gun that's right. his gets his get out of everything card basically. Mm-hmm. Chris, did you say the second half was directed by a different person? I don't know if it was like the second half, but it was just, yeah. part of it. Yeah, Dan Dan Riba who went on to direct a ton of animated series like even up into Justice League. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he um he directed the rest because Dick Sebast left the series like. Literally halfway through this episode, so apparently. Because so. I'm, I'm wondering who, who supervisor, who boarded one of them. There's a, there's a shot that I really like towards the end when, when the uh, Montague sends his goons out onto the wing to stop Batman from messing with the, one of the, the ailerons or whatever is like, yeah, or like throwing off the, the aerodynamics part. There's a shot where it's like a, a, a the camera is like kind of like fixed on one location where you see Batman moving around because he's in he's kind of like stepping around in a circle, like squaring off against the the redheaded goon who was the one voiced by Bruce Tim, and you see Zatanna in the background clawing her way to the the door to get back in there. Mm-hmm. As you see Batman move out of frame and Zatanna in the back, and then the goon moving into frame, kind of obscuring her before she goes in. It's just a kind of cool shot, and I was wondering which one of the directors would have been responsible for that one. Yeah, I don't know which one that was, but yeah, that's that's a that's a sharp that's a sharp sequence. And I noticed uh, that there were two. I didn't write down who did it, but it, it was like two of the animation studios that you know they normally farm these uh, episodes out to. Usually, like they were Korean um, uh, studios, and one was uh, I think one was Don Yang, and maybe one was Spectrum, and they both worked on this episode. So the flashbacks look a little different. Than the rest of the episode. I mean, of course they do their sepia tone, but even the the animation style is a little different, you know. Well, talking about animation, I'm sorry, but when Alfred and Bruce are in the audience, and then there's a place where Bruce's eyes are not the way they should be. Yeah. Holy crap! <laughs> yeah, there there are some instances in this episode where the animation is a bit sloppy. I mean, it's it's it, it, a lot of these early episodes. Well, his eyeball was on his ear. Yeah, they, <laughs> they were. <laughs> I noticed that too. That especially the opening scene. Yeah. It's like then when they jump to the flashback, it it was much better. And then when they jump back in, it seemed like it was the, the president yeah. was better. So yeah, that you kind of we've noticed that on Justice League sometimes that there's different, especially two part episodes like part one. Or you, you know the the biggest one is Robin's Reckoning, which is like I think the next two episodes are Robin's Reckoning after this. A Robin's Reckoning Part One and Part Two. Robin Re- Robin's Reckoning Part One is one of the most beautiful episodes of uh-huh. the animated series. I mean, of course, that's uh-huh. like w- one of the best episodes ever, anyway. But then Part Two, the animation really is not. It's done by a different studio, right? And it does not look nearly as good. Yeah. But anyway, getting back to this one. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's a cool scene with the plane. The only thing that it, it when Batman was standing really close to the uh, the engine, I, I, I couldn't help but think of Edna Mode though. Oh yeah, <laughs> no capes, <Okay>. darling. Yeah, <laughs> just like get sucked in like syndrome, you know, yeah. <laughs> or whichever hero it showed in the flashback that got sucked into the you know engine. So yeah, I, yeah, I had to think of that. But yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, I. 
you know, the the ending, like you said, Ryan, when when, you know, it's really touching that, you know, she asks him, you know, why he does it. And he's just like, a, you know, painful memory. And, and uh, I think still when we see Zatanna in the this little piggy episode, I think she's still giving Batman crap. About not keeping in touch, though. Yeah. She's, she's, she, you know, it's it's basically like, oh, so, you know, because Wonder Woman's in trouble, you come and get me, I see. You know, that kind of, <laughs> there's this, this kind of slight romantic rivalry there between. <laughs> and I think she even, we're jumping ahead, but I think she catches on to that there's something oh, yeah. going on with those two. Yeah. Oh, honey, I mean, women can scent this a mile away. <laughs> Like when that woman was hitting on you that day, I'm like, no, I don't get that. So I'm, I have, I have no radar for that. Sorry. Just be glad I, mean, I didn't sure, her. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm pretty Ryan. sure Z calls her chubby when she's in her pig form, which is just not, <laughs> not cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there probably aren't many, many times when you're able to make a critique like that against Wonder Woman. True. So. Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. This was Paul Dini's first brush with Zatanna, as far as I know, and he would go on to write her ongoing series, and 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 he he wrote that. Didn't he write that graphic novel with her in Black Canary? Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 And of course, he went on to marry a real life magician named Misty Lee, who just happens to dress exactly like Zatanna. Ah. <laughs> Now, did did he did she dress like that before they got married, or I I don't remember. I I I know that he married her. I know she that's her look with the top hat, the tails, and fishnets. But I I don't I don't know which came first. But you know, she was already doing that or what? I don't know. So I can see a situation where he married her because she was dressed like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I can also see the situation where. She's like, oh, you're, you're in TV or TV writer. You're got some Hollywood money. Uh, okay. Um, or are you like, you connected to Batman or something? What's your, what's your kink? How do you want me to dress? <laughs> Catwoman, uh, poison ivy, Zatanna, Zatanna, dress like Zatanna. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly easier than having her dress like a Harlequin jester. I mean, it's, it could have been, it could have been worse. Yeah. It yeah, yeah. yeah. She could have to come up go out and that all the time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. <laughs> So, final thoughts on this episode? Anything you want to share that we didn't get out, go over, Ryan? No, just, I mean, with a script by Paul Dini, you know it's going to be funny. You know, we got, like, lines like, you know, when Bruce and Alfred are watching the performances, like, I was another man back then. And, and Alfred's like, oh, yeah, you were so driven and, and dark and brooding and sister, she would hardly recognize you today. Uh, you know, Alfred is able to give him crap about stuff like that. Um, it's, you know, it's got a sexy sort of femme sidekick and, and they, they have this flirty little relationship. It reveals backstory. So it's, it's sweet. It's adventurous. It's funny. It's got all the earmarks of a good story. It's a good Batman story. It's a great introduction. If you've never, if you have no idea who Zatanna is, right. um, it's it's one that leaves a lasting impression. Um, yeah, just it's nice. It's a good one. I think so too. What about you, Cindy? Same, same. I I really like this episode. Um, there were a little nitpicky things, you know, like her, you know, being a little bit damselly at times. But mm-hmm. you know, then she came back and punched him in the face, and that made me happy. Yeah. <laughs> and she also ground her heel into him. I hope she broke some of his toes. <laughs> 
long as it wasn't his pinky toe. I'm a little bloodthirsty. Because if it was his pinky toe, he wouldn't be able to walk again. If you've been watching Peacemaker, that's, that's, if you, if you lose your pinky toe, you can't walk after that, you know? Well, if you lose it or if you break it. Yeah, I'm just, it's a joke. It's not. Because I was going to say, I've broken both of my pinky toes and I'm fine. Yeah, it's not true at all. I was just joking. Okay. Like, what? Another DC show, but uh, yeah, which it, I have not watched. Yeah, me and Andrew. Have been Apparently, watching I'm it. not old enough. No. <laughs> I don't think anybody's old enough to watch it. Honestly, uh, but have you been watching it, Ryan? Which one? Peacemaker. No, I haven't. I've, I've seen the opening credits, and that's that's it. I I think you would like probably like it. I think it would suit your sense of humor. I think you probably I, it, probably it, like it. it probably would. Uh, yeah, I just I yeah I haven't gotten around to it. So yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. But I, I digress. But yeah, I I think this uh, yeah this is this is a fun one. I mean, I remember being really excited that this you know the prospect that this one this is a fun episode. I always like Zatanna. And, and I prefer, you know, I prefer Zatanna, like, um, in her, you know, in her classic outfit versus her, you know, even though I knew her more in her, uh, well, I guess when I first met her, she was in her, uh, uh, outfit that looked like her mom's with the blue leotard and the, when she first jo- actually joined the Justice League, you know, with the yeah. big cape and, and then the bug head look that Perez, you know, designed, I, you know, I, I knew that too, but I always preferred her in this look and and so it was exciting and the prospect of there being a wider dc universe uh you know although i was i was old enough at that point to realize uh they're not gonna do that we're never gonna see all these all these heroes i just had to wait a decade and eventually it happened but uh as we're about to uh jump into the biggest gathering of dc characters ever in any kind of media presentation so Uh, so yeah, this is from humble beginnings. Here we go into the, uh, the DC <laughs> universe. So yeah. So Ryan, uh, why don't you tell folks where they can find you on the network? Uh, you can find me on the fire and water podcast network. Um, currently my big project is cheers cast, just doing a index show of my favorite TV sitcom of all time. Cheers. Uh, several other shows in various states of hiatus or cancellation. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Yeah. <laughs> if you want to hear more more about me talking about these characters, find old episodes of Power of Fishnets and Batman Nightcast. Yep, that's right. And I guess uh, you're about to jump into, is it Diane's final season? Is that the next, what's up next? Yep, that'll be coming up in a, a, a couple months or something. We're going to do season five, a final season with Shelley Long as Diane. Wow, wow. Then you're jumping, that's that's you jumping from Justice League into Justice League Unlimited then. So basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks again for stopping by uh talk about Satana. And, uh, yeah, we definitely need to talk about this little piggy. So we, we'll have you booked. That actually won't be too long. I think that's fairly early yeah, I think in it this is. season. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, we'll, I believe so. We'll talk to you in a few months. We'll have you back right. and, and we'll talk Satana and, and all the other characters that show up in that episode. And yes, Batman singing. So I look forward to it. Yeah. Am I blue? Am I blue? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) We'll take a quick break, guys. And when we come back, Steve Gibbons will speed by for discussion on the Superman episode, Speed Demons. Don't go away. So, you never wrote. I meant to, really. Hey, it's okay. I can see you've been busy. Just answer an old friend one question. Shoot. What happened that made you put this on? A painful memory. And a promise. I'd say you're keeping that promise pretty well. And for what it's worth, Dad would have been proud of you tonight. You too. Can I give you a ride? 
John. I hate goodbyes too. Love, Zana. P.S. Don't forget to write. Hey, Ryan. I know we're taking a break from Batman Nightcast, but I've been thinking about the Nightfall storyline where Jean-Paul Vallée temporarily took over the role of Batman. I see where you're going with this. If you were ever paralyzed, I would be honored to take care of Cindy and your kids. Uh, no, that's not where I was going. I was thinking about all the many characters who have filled in for Bruce Wayne as Batman over the years. Dick Grayson, Tim Drake. Commissioner Gordon, for some reason. Yeah, that did happen. Anyway, on the subject of temporary replacements... Your son Andrew is going to take over Supermates? No. Focus on Batman. Why is this so hard? While we're away from Nightcast for a while longer, someone could come in and do a Batman-related show for the Fire & Water Network. Well, I know Paul Keen loves the Batman Family comic book. I've seen Sean M. Myers post a few things about Batman Family, too. Do you think they'd... We'll do it! For those of you who aren't familiar with the series, Batman Family was a DC comic that ran for 20 issues from 1975 to 1978, and then rescued Detective Comics from the DC implosion by continuing as a dollar comic for 15 more issues until 1980. The title started out with new features starring Batgirl and Robin, along with reprints before morphing into all new stories starring other members of the Batman family, such as The Huntress, Commissioner Gordon, Man Bat, and even Ragman and the Demon. So you're all invited to the Batman Family Reunion Podcast, taking over the Batman Nightcast feed. Coming in January to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. This could be the sensational podcast find of 2022. Okay, we're back, and we have a very special guest on this second half to help us talk about the Superman episode, Speed Demons. Please welcome friend of the network, Steve Givens. Welcome to the Watchtower, Steve. Hello, Chris. Hi, Cindy. How y'all doing? We're doing great. Just doing fine. Just doing fine. Glad to have you here. And uh, I have to ask this question of all our guests. What is your history with the DC animated universe? Uh... Well, I, you know, I was in high school when uh, the Batman the Animated Series came on, um, and I remember watching it dutifully, um, and then, of course, it uh, went into the, what was it, the Batman and Robin Adventures, or Batman Adventures, it morphed into, uh, and then... Um, with Superman as well. I, I, when in the mid nineties and the mid to late nineties, I kind of lost, like I saw it. I would watch the episode sporadically. Uh, but then when justice league came out, I was all on board with that and watched it religiously. Um, now the funny thing is I remember the, I remember when the first episode of Batman, the animated series came on, it was a, a Sunday evening Mm-hmm. in the fall and it was uh, on leather wings it was the well that wasn't the first episode that aired the first episode that aired was on a saturday morning if right not, <laughs> but, but i didn't i didn't know anything about that because i was too old to be watching saturday morning cartoons yeah but i remember seeing in the tv guide an ad for it i was like oh it's on like i never like i knew it was coming but i wasn't really paying attention as to when it would be uh, out um and i i had i was watching it and I had the closest at that time I'd ever had to like an out of body experience or like some sort of like spiritual bell ringing. Because the first time I heard uh, 
Kevin Conroy as Batman, I was like, that is the Batman voice I've been hearing in my head with all the comic books that I've read with Batman. Yes. I mean, that, that mm-hmm. was, I was like, somebody just reached into my mind and pulled that voice out and put it on the screen. And I was, it, it, it was unbelievable to me. And, and I mean, that's why it's burned in my memory after all these years. I, I remember exactly where I was when I watched it. It was a flashbulb memory because it was so, uh, uh, it was such a powerful experience. Cause I'm like, Oh my God. Crap! That's that's the voice I've been hearing all these years. Like, how did they do that? And um, I, so I became a really big fan of the Batman the Animated Series. Um, and then you know I went off to college and uh, you know was watching TV sporadically. I, I was not following um, the later iterations of the Batman animated series or Superman, not as I would watch them occasionally, but not as dutifully. Now when um, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but like, I remember hearing about the episode with the flash because the flash is my favorite superhero. Um, you know, it's just a character I've been like uh, absolutely uh, a fan of for the longest time. And when I heard that they were bringing the flash onto the Superman uh, show, I, made a point of watching it. I don't remember exactly when I watched it. I don't know if I even watched it when it first aired. I may have watched it in a rerun. Uh, but I remember making a point of watching it. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I certainly have rewatched it over the years since, and I rewatched it coming into this show. So I'm, I'm happy to finally like be able to sit down and really talk about this show and to talk about the character in general. Um, I don't, this is the first I've, you guys are the last two people in the, in the Fire and Water Network, the, uh, the movers and shakers of the Fire and Water Network that I haven't podcasted with yet. And you're also the first ones I'll be able to really have a in-depth conversation uh, about the Flash with. So I'm I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Oh, well, great. I'm, I'm, yeah. glad, look, I'm glad we get to do that then. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, you, know, it's, yeah it's, you, you, you two finished my collection of the... Fire and Water Network podcasters. I, I've now gone through all. all of you. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, what uh, what is our power action feature when you squeeze our legs? What does Cindy, Cindy punches me in the arm, obviously, but I don't I don't know what I do. I don't know. I have not walked you forever. You've been exceptionally non dumbassery. <laughs> There you go. Um, I, you know, I when, no, I, I don't see Cindy having much of an a- action figure. I think she would have like one of those drawstrings, and you would pull it back, and you would just hear her say, "Christopher." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. She's got a sound chip. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but you, your action figure would come with, um, uh, with a. Uh, oh gosh, the the blow sculptures. Oh, the blow molds. Yeah, blow mold. Yeah, would have a blow mold with it. I like it. Light up blow mold. I like it. It's great. It's perfect. Yeah, we just got some more. So. Yeah, we, yeah. After Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Body. Your action figure would be. You would have an attachment in your hand that if you put the blow mold in your hand, it lights up. That's what it is. Perfect. <laughs> like that old DC Direct Starman figure. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You know when you're talking about Kevin Conn. Roy, I guess you had the same reaction that uh, Bruce Tim and Andrea Romano and all the yes. producers did when he first started, you know, when he first mm-hmm. started speaking as Batman. And and it's funny that you, you know, I, I'm not trying to steal your story at all because it is, you yeah. know, th- but, but I hadn't really even put it, I haven't really thought about that because 
I had pretty much the same reaction because I did mm-hmm. see the Cat in the Claw part one that Saturday morning. I wish I'd seen on Leather Wings first because the Cat in the Claw is not that great of an episode of Batman the Animated Series. No. Honestly, yeah. it's, it is more Saturday morning fair versus on Leather oh. Wings. But, um, but just when I first heard Kevin Conroy, I, I think, I think because he has become the voice of Batman in my head, period, mm-hmm. that I forget the fact that he already was the voice of Batman in the same way you said. <laughs> I mean, it was so note perfect that, that, uh, I immediately accepted it, that this is the way Batman should have always sounded like. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So it, yeah, I'm glad you, I, I mean, it, what you said that I'm like, yeah, I, I, I felt the same way too. The first time I heard yeah. him, heard him as Batman. So, well, you know, I totally, I totally know that my experience, uh, is not unique among comic book fans. I mean, Kevin Conroy, there's a reason why they keep going back to him to be the voice of Batman after like, what, uh, 30 years now? Yeah. You know, it's, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it resonates uh, with, with fans, especially longtime comic book readers in a way that, uh, that not not other voice characterizations have. And so he he hit on something. I mean, I don't know what it is, or what. I mean, I you know, I I, I don't know what exactly uh, why that was. Uh, but I I know that for for me and for fans like you and me and all the a, a lot of other people, we had the same reaction, you know. And uh, which tells me, you know, there's, you know, this is going back to my, as a teacher. Like I, I'm always looking at like how literature and things affect people and why we, why certain stories resonate with us. And, you know, stuff like that is what hits home for me. The idea of like, these stories have a power, have a significance that goes beyond, you know, a throwaway entertainment or something to amuse yourself with while you're uh, trying to kill some time one afternoon or something, you know, there's something that gets ingrained in the psyche here that when we see something on the outside that connects to it, it's just, it's like a bell going off inside of us. Yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, and the fact that all comic book fans are crazy anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> They're a, a tad bit obsessed, uh, you know, the, a just, little, no just two, a little, no two ways about. <laughs> Speaking of obsession, when did you, uh, when and how did you first become a fan of the Flash? Um, well, it's uh, I'm trying to tell you. I have a way. I have a, a penchant for being verbose, so I'm trying to be very concise here. But mm, back in the why. yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> back in the ancient days of the 1980s, um, when I was uh, become, I'd always been a comic book reader or comic book collector, or not collector, but I always would get comic books. I don't remember never having comic books. That's how far back they go with me. Um, and I didn't become a like a full on comic book collector. Like I wasn't actively going to the convenience store or the bookstore to try to find comics until about 84, 85, um, when I was about nine years old. And I, it happened, I don't know what, I, I mean, this is one of those things where it was just serendipity because I started collecting comics seriously at the same time that Who's Who started and the Crisis on Infinite Earths began. Mm. And so imagine a nine-year-old suddenly being bombarded with 
in a good way with who's who and crisis. And my mind was blown on a regular basis <laughs> from like the age of nine to the age of 11. And, uh, and of course, famously in crisis, that's where Barry Allen, spoiler alert for like what a 30 some year old story. Yeah. Um, uh, Barry Allen dies. Yes. And at the end in crisis 12, Wally puts on, uh, the flash costume and said, he's going to carry on the legacy. Um, and at the time, it didn't really sit well with me because I was like, ah, I'm not sure. It was Barry was more of a nostalgic character, wasn't really a fan of him. But I'm like, oh, the Flash is dead, and, and Kid Flash really isn't the Flash, you know? I mean, come on. Um, but Crisis happened, and then a year or so later, Legends came out, and then uh, Wally featured very prominently in Legends. And I decided to, then there was announcements of his series coming out. And so I decided to pick it up and read it because I was reading a lot of DC at that time. And I started following it and reading it. And it was, it wasn't a conscious thing to me. I just started picking it up and I just, I, that was always going to, it always, I, it became increasingly more and more like the top book I would have on my pile to read. And I, I was that was always one that I was going to constantly. And it's something that I didn't even realize it until years later. Until I was like, oh, wow, I am. I really love this character. I really am a big fan of who he is. And I have a complete collection of, uh, of Flash of Wally West's series from beginning to end. I, I, I mean, that was even in my most uh, in times when money was uh, tight and I wasn't going buying a lot of books. That was the book I always kept money for. Like that was the one I always kept making sure that I was able to get. Gotcha. Um, and so I just had a great deal of affection and uh, affinity for this character. And if you have read it, if you've read the Wally West series, it's a really interesting progression because there's a clear dynamic change in Wally across the series. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen with other characters, but his series was 20 plus years. It ran for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. And to have that character go from what he was at the beginning, which was an oversexed 19, 20 year old who could only run at the speed of sound, you know, mm -hmm. to, being a an adult man married with children and one of the most respected and powerful heroes of his time you, you, that's you know and to go from that to that and to make it feel like a natural progression of the character mm -hmm. like it's not something that's forced that's a very very powerful achievement considering the fact that you had a lot of different writers coming in you had a lot of different artists interpreting the character and, you know, and, and but, but, but they also always had, in my opinion, really good writers and really good artists on the book. Even if the book mm -hmm. wasn't always a top seller, I mean, Mark Wade, you don't get much better than Mark Wade. No. Uh, Grant <laughs> Morrison had a, had a run on the book mm -hmm. and uh, Jeff Johns had a very, before he became a corporate shill, he was actually <laughs> at one point, a great writer, yes. you know, yeah. and he, he had a really wonderful run on the book and great artists like Greg LaRoque and uh, Scott Collins, uh, you know, they each, I mean, the different people came on and it was always an enjoyable read. 
it was always something that was I, I always went back to, and it was a reliable constant in my life. And also, I read it through a lot of stages of my own life. Like, I started, like, I was 12 or 13 when Wally's book came out. Cut to 20 years later, I'm in my 30s, you know. So I, I was with that character. That character was with me uh, through uh, very formative years of my life. Um, and so, I mean, to, so I have a deep love, a deep affection for the character of Wally West, for the character of Flash. Uh, uh, well, Wally West specifically, but I also, you know, for the, the entourage, the family of flashes, you know, I have a great affection for. Yeah. I, that, so that's, I, you know, that's my history with the flash as, as succinctly as I could put it. Please feel free to edit me as you need to. No, no, no. And, and, and I think that's great because that's, that's me. That's my history with that, with the Wally character as well. I had, I had, um, <clears throat> Bought the, uh, the Barry title, the, the, the Flash, starting mm-hmm. in the 80s, right about the time Carmine Infantino came back. I just, it just so happened that's when I started picking it up. And I, for whatever reason, Flash kind of became my, the DC character that I liked the best that wasn't Superman and Batman, you know, uh. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so he was my, like after them, he was my next favorite character in, in DC that wasn't Superman, not counting Robin and, you know, Batman related characters, but, Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I was buying that and then I, I did buy it through the trial of the flash. I didn't buy every issue because he, I got, this is just dragging on too long, but I, <laughs> I'd pick up the issue here and there that seemed interesting. And, you know, I was, I was really upset when they, when they killed Barry off, but mm-hmm. I liked Wally from the teen Titans and I, I bought the, you know, when his, his new title launched and I, I, I will admit it was jarring that his characterization was so different by Mark, Mike uh, Mike Barron versus what Marv Wolfman had written for him this sure. this, this very you know super conservative um, uh, character that was you know very mom and pop uh, Midwestern values character and now he's you know shagging every chick he can find you know? <laughs> uh, I mean it's it uh, <laughs> it was it was a mm-hmm. little bit of a switch but like you said uh, him and then Bill Mesner Loebs and then Mark Wade and Grant Morrison and, and Jeff Johns. Mm-hmm. They all evolved him, and and it really, I think that's one of the things that, you know, when Dan DiDio came in and said, oh, we got to take the characters back to the most classic versions, uh, we've got to bring back uh, Barry, we got to bring back Hal, that just has never worked, because Wally mm-hmm. earned that title of The Flash. Absolutely. Barry earned his death. It was a great death. They should have just mm-hmm. left Barry dead, and they should have left Wally as The Flash. And I understand after all that horrible heroes in crisis nonsense that Wally is the flash in the comic right now. And our son, Andrew's been reading it and I need to give it a shot. Cause I know Shag's been enjoying you, it too. I've been enjoying it too. How's Andrew been liking it? He li- he loves it. He said it's great. Yeah. He said it's and he, and Wally is of course his flash. And, uh, so he's, he's really enjoying it. I need to oh, good. grab his copies and start reading it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring up, uh, having to bring back Hal Jordan and bring back Barry Allen to me, you know, green, uh, Hal Jordan coming back, it worked because the way they got rid of Hal Jordan to begin with was so problematic and so divisive among fans, you know, uh, what they did with making in parallax and kind of, that seemed like a forced transformation in order to make way for Kyle Rayner. And Kyle wasn't, I mean, Kyle, in my opinion, as a character, eventually earned 
being called a Green Lantern. But then, but for a while, like he was the character that was being foisted upon fans. I was like, mm-hmm. "Here's your new Green Lantern." Yeah, uh, not the situation. I mean, I think you would agree with me. It sounds like you agree with me. Like Barry, you know, I mean, even though it came after the 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 iconic uh, cover of Superman holding Supergirl, her death, you know. Uh, how sneaky of it one was for DC to only to advertise this huge death of a major character, a Supergirl, then right after the next issue, <laughs> we're killing off the character that started off the Silver Age to begin with, you yeah. know? Because <laughs> that was like a one-two punch. I mean, not even a one-two punch. That was like, here's a punch, but here's like your nuclear bomb, you know, punch that's going <laughs> to knock you out. Um, but like you said, Barry earned that death, and it was heroic, and it was... Uh, you know, you can't complain about how he died because he died a hero. He died saving the entire universe and for that moment or giving the universe a chance to live and to uh, to beat the anti-monitor. And then, of course, you know, uh, Wally, having already been an established character, had that background to pull upon, even though they obviously they did different things with his characterization going into his own book. But that, like, there was that was a more natural and uh, organic progression in his character, and that's why there are such so many ardent fans of Wally, like myself, because that was the transition done right. That yes. was, you know, if you were a fan of Barry, you can. I mean, I remember getting the arguments with people like on the message boards back in the day of like the Barry fans who just wanted Barry back and Wally's not the flash. I mean, there was always those people talk about toxic fandom. Those people have always been around. They just have different venues to, uh, to voice their opinion. Uh, but I remember like, how can you complain about Barry's death? Like this is what I if you go back to like, like the old epic hero tales of ancient folklore, you know, the hero often had, and the hero's uh, story would end with the hero having a heroic death. And you, that was very much following in that tradition. So how can you complain about that? Because I, I, in my snarkier moments, I would often say, well, you know, the, the best story that Barry was ever was in was the one in which he died. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I yeah. mean, you talk about the trial of the Flash going on. That story went on almost as long as a real trial would go. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like they were trying to impressionistically make us feel what the actual justice system feels like, you know? <laughs> you know there's, there's, there's an argument to be made that Barry yeah. was more interesting in death than he was in life because he... Yes. achieved the level of sainthood like because because mm-hmm. they could take his as the other characters evolved and as they they gave them more distinct personalities and, and that was beginning in the late 70s through the 80s but then Barry sure. got mired in the the trial and everything but as as the other characters developed more unique personalities Barry became that gee whiz really just really nice guy he became the yeah. silver age character that kept that personality in death and so he mm-hmm. was that 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 silver age sheen but he you know he, he that was his character he was yep. that guy and he was more interesting in that way because you know when you bring him back and you bring him back into the modern comics then what do you do with him you've got to almost give him more of a personality graph from Wally to make him interesting and, well that's just it you know the uh, TV show for instance I, I have friends of the I know people who are not comic book fans but say they're fans of the TV show um 
And they're like talk about things they think are really cool. Well, it's everything that they find cool. It was happened or was revealed during Wally's tenure as the Flash. Right. It's like they stole from Wally to give to Barry, and I'm like, that just that that was aggravating to me. Right, just, you know, as, as a Wally fan. Even the but, John um, Wesley Ship series, he was a merger of the two characters with Barry. Sure, Bay, you know, so. yeah, but, but, and also bringing in Tina McGee. Tina McGee was a uh, Wally character. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, well, Cindy, I'm, I feel like we're ignoring you. I'm sorry. <laughs> are, are you, <laughs> do Do you have any uh, history with the character, Cindy? I mean, it's it's one of those cases that you know you know he's there, and it's mm-hmm. you know I think he's a great character. But it's one of those cases that he wasn't my character. Does that make sense? I mean, John Wesley Shipp, I mean, he's honestly where my vision of the Flash comes from. Got it. Yeah. And uh, if you ever get a chance to meet meet John Wesley Shipp, he is is just as nice and as gracious as you'd expect him to be. If you see him at a con... Definitely meet this guy. Me and Andrew met him, and he was just fantastic. So, oh, that's awesome. That's that's always awesome to hear. Like when you people that you have seen and admire, and they actually end up being like nice people. Yeah. But uh, let me let me ask you this question, Cindy. Are you also a fan of John Wesley Ship when he was on soap operas? No. Oh, okay. I, I'd watch. He was General Hospital. I watched Days of Our Lives, so I had no idea who he was until I saw him oh, on the Flash. Okay. Yeah. Got yeah. it. My mother was a. Uh, my mother and sister were big fans of Guiding Light back in the day, and he Early? was on that show. Oh, uh, was it Guiding Light? Point. Okay, I knew it was one well, of the he, ones. Well, he he made his rounds just like all the other characters. Gotcha. Uh, just like all the other actors. I mean, I'm sure he was on General Hospital or whatever, but he was on Guiding Light at one point, and that's where I first knew him because I'd come home and I'd want to watch He Man. <laughs> and mom and my sister were watching Guiding Light. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so John Wesley's ship is burned in my memory as something that I didn't want to see on the TV. No. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, yeah, my mom watched Guiding Light too. But I, I when when they cast him as the Flash, she's like, oh yeah, it's the guy from Guiding Light. And I'm like, oh yeah, God. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, but uh, yeah. Uh, well, we've got a different flash on this episode than what we're used to yeah. talking about. So let's let's hop into the episode proper, and then we'll uh, we'll uh, uh, jump into discussion about that one. So the episode was uh, Superman the Animated Series. The episode Speed Demons originally aired September thirteenth, nineteen ninety seven. Written by our pal Rich Vogel. Woohoo! Woohoo! Uh, directed by I'm going to probably slaughter this name, so I apologize. To Shihiko Masuda, I believe. Uh, music by Michael McQuistian, who of course uh, does a lot of the the, mm-hmm. the Justice League episodes. Uh, although we do hear some Shirley Walker Flash themes from the TV show in this mm-hmm. episode too, which I love. So uh, we had uh, Tim Daly as Superman Clark Kent, of course. Dana Delaney as Lois Lane, or Dana Delaney. Yeah, Anna Maney, totally insane. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help it. I remember her name. <laughs> and you got to wag your eyebrows when you do it, like yeah. that. Dana Delaney. <laughs> yeah. uh, Charlie Schlater as the Flash. Uh, David Kaufman as Jimmy Olsen. Miguel Ferrer as M- Mark Martin. Lauren Dreyfus as Ben Martin, Carl Lumbly, our Martian Manhunter, as the mayor, Marion Ross as General Richter, yes, Mrs. Cunningham, uh, Neil Ross as Captain, and Larry Cedar as First Mate. 
In Metropolis, spectators gather for the event of a lifetime, Superman versus The Flash, to raise money for charity, the Man of Steel and Central City's hot-headed Scarlet Speedster agree to a race to determine which one truly is the fastest man alive. The first one to circle the globe 100 times wins. Electronic armbands are placed on them to track their progress. Little do they know that this has been rigged up by an old foe of The Flash named Mark Martin, who is using the iconic energy created by the hero's speed to power his brother Ben's weather control device. Calling himself the weather wizard, Mark contacts a U.S. military tracking station and warns them to watch the coast of northern Australia. Pointing Ben's weather wand device at the holographic map of the globe, the weather wizard causes a hurricane to develop off the Australian shore. Superman and Flash break off from the race to help a capsized oil tanker in trouble. Weather Wizard sends another video message threatening to unleash the full brunt of his power on Metropolis if one billion, one billion dollars isn't deposited into his overseas account. (laughs) (laughs) When Ben walks out on his brother's murderous scheme, Mark tries to kill him with the weather device and the government tracks the anomaly to a location outside of Metropolis. Superman and Flash arrive in time to save Ben and confront the Weather Wizard. In the fight, the weather device is damaged, and the heroes barely have time to pull Mark out with them before the house explodes. Dropping Mark off at prison, Superman admits that although he comes off as a hyperactive jerk, Flash is all right. The two then agree to finish the race and take off. So, Steve, what did you think about this episode? My opinion of it has changed over uh, the years, um, especially in light of... um, uh, the flash we got in the justice league series. Okay. Uh, I, I think, I, I think they're supposed to be one in the same. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, depends on how you look at it. Um, but I, I, when this episode first aired, I was extremely excited that they were bringing the flash into a cartoon. Um, the, I was okay with the different characterization they gave him. Cause he's kind of like the jokey, happy go lucky, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of, yeah. Uh, that, that he is pretty much in the Justice League series, and I, I was okay with that because I know, okay, he, that type of characterization is going to play against Superman really well. So I, I get why they did that. Is that at that t- point in time with Wally in the comics, it wasn't really in line with what who he was at that point in time. Uh, but it was certainly a closer characterization for Wally than it was for Barry. Because I remember at the time, there was some discussion as to who, which Flash this was. Is it Wally or is it Barry? And I'm like, man, nah, that's clearly Wally. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, they're characterizing him as Wally, uh, at least as, clo- as close as they were going to get. Uh, Wally, I mean, Barry never really exhibited those types of characteristics that I'm aware of. No. Um, the, in the series, I mean, the story itself is pretty straightforward. You've got the, the classic, you know, use of the Superman flash race. Like that has been done like, uh, I don't know, uh, at least a dozen times in the comics at right. some point. Um, and so that was a classic fun thing to see. I, I had a lot of fun watching the episode. Um, looking back at it now, there are some things that are just, I, 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 it's more of a nitpicky thing for me. Um, uh, you know, I, I was there are like, for instance, I, I was watching it and, uh, when Superman saves, uh, Ben Martin from the car and he falls out of the car and the flash just catches him. And I'm like, why didn't they just have him like create a cyclone with his hands and like lower, 
bend down to the ground. Well, why catch? You know, right. I, I'm, 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 I'm sure there was an animation at the time and things like that reason why they didn't want to do that. I'm like, why just have the Flash catch him when you have you could have him do something he's done in the comics multiple times. You know, um, uh, you know. So that was that was kind of a nitpicky thing for me. I, I mean, I, I didn't dislike this episode, but I was uh, looking at it. I was like. Ah, you know, okay, that was a that was a the Flash. Good, okay. Um, <laughs> and of course, this is me looking back on and, and as a looking back on it in retrospect of the Flash we got in the Justice League series, who was uh, voiced by Michael Rosenbaum, and he uh, Rosenbaum's performance as well as the stories they gave Wally. Uh, his character evolved mm-hmm. over time in mm-hmm. a similar way that it happened, not in, in a much more subtle way than what happened in the comics. Of course, they had they were, had less time in the series than they did in the comics, obviously, to change his character. Um, but you know, I, I was I love the Flash in the Justice League cartoon. Like whenever he comes on the screen, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun now. You know, yeah, right. a, there's always going to be a he always had really good moments uh in the show and i even had the one moment that it was the only time that ever the show ever caused me to kind of tear up um which is a show you've not gotten to yet i'm not supposed to talk about that i think i got chastised by one of you one time when i brought it up and then on the Oh, you can go ahead and tell us what was it. What was that moment? You can go ahead and tell it was, us. It was uh, in the Panic in the Sky storyline where he disappears into the Speed Force. And uh, and the characters, he they bring him back. Yeah. Um, and he's shown to be like the heart of the Justice League. And I'm, I'm watching all of them link arms together. I'm, I'm kind of like tearing up about it, talking about yeah. it now. Them all linking arms to bring him back. I was just like, oh, my God, this is such a powerful moment. <laughs> I always think about I always think about uh, um, about John Stewart when he says, hold on, Wally. You know, when he oh, I just that man, moment, yes. just, Yeah, just I mean, the way because that's his buddy, you know, and it just. It yeah. Just, and then. Oh. Yeah. And then with Maria Canals as Hawkgirl, she yells his name. Yeah. And there's such like uh, fear and desperation in which she yells. All she does is Wally. I, I yeah. can't. I can't even begin to mimic it. Yeah. And oh man, just uh, a wonderful, wonderful. Of course, a break before that, he also takes out Lex Luthor slash Brainiac. Yeah. In one of the most awesome displays uh, in, in, in in that show ever. Of like, if, if there was ever any doubt that. Uh, Wally or Flash was a was a heavy hitter or could hold his own or could stand side by side with the likes of Batman and Superman. That moment proved it more yeah. than anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't wait till we get to that that yeah, that episode because yeah. yeah, it's just yeah, it is a it is a touchstone in that whole mm-hmm. the whole series. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. fantastic. Well, don't have me on that episode because I'll be a blubbering mess the whole time. <laughs> no, now you've got to come back for that episode. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in this episode, I, it's almost like this was a uh, like a rough sketch of what they were eventually going to do with the Flash. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't, I didn't dislike this, but I, I like what they ended up doing with the character far more than what I saw. Uh, in this episode, 
Yeah, there's uh, uh, Charlie Schl- mm. uh, Slater, and, and if you guys don't know who that is, if you you probably uh, know him from uh, he was on Diagnosis Murder for years. Oh yeah, yeah, my uh, grandmother he, would know him. Yeah, he was the younger <laughs> George Burns in that movie Eighteen Again, mm-hmm. yeah. one of many movies where you know somebody they either switch bodies with their dad or they change and yeah. you know de age. And yeah. uh, he also played uh, Ferris Bueller. He did in the, in the TV series with the Jennifer Aniston is the one who played his sister in that. Yes, she played yeah. his sister. Yep, that the yeah. the the series that was a far uh, was a far inferior version of Ferris Bueller than Parker Lewis can't lose was, oh, so, yeah. <laughs> which uh, which oddly enough, but uh, but no, but uh, I you know I like his his interpretation fine, but he doesn't, mm-hmm. and, and he's only got this one episode, so you can't. Although sure. he plays the Flash and and other things like the Batman and and Justice League action and various Lego games and things. So he, mm-hmm. he has a history with the character after this, but, but, uh, he only gets this one episode, but he, his flash doesn't seem, he does seem kind of more like he really is kind of that obnoxious jerk to a point, you know, yeah, whereas, yeah. whereas Rosenbaum's got, you get the idea over the course of the series that a lot of that's just an act, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that's how he thinks he's supposed to act. And, and so he does, it's, it's to compensate for, you know, basically, um, not, not feeling like he belongs, mm. you know, that he belongs with the, big with, leaguers. with the big leaguers. Yeah. And, and like you said, he grows, he grow he grows so much over the, over the course of the series. So it's not really fair to say that, but he does, mm. he does come across kind of a little maybe too obnoxious. And I really think, you know, having Shag having been covering the Justice League Europe, it really clicked for me. He's pointed out, you know, Wally in the Justice League Europe was even more obnoxious and, and yeah. horn doggy, overtly horn doggy than he was in his own book. So in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, this feels like the Justice League Europe flash in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, that's true. I hadn't thought, I hadn't made that connection. Um, because I was reading uh, the, uh, those JLI books when they were coming out, and while I was reading Flash, and that was always a sticking point for me, because it was like they they found this one note in his character, and they just kept hitting that one note the whole time. Yeah, uh, in the Justice League books, and I'm like, are, like, is the editor or writers not saying anything to these people? Because if I was if I was writing the book or the editor of the book, I would be like, hey, dude. You're making my character look <laughs> look really bad here. Yeah. <laughs> of course, maybe the Justice League books were so popular and, and outselling Flash at the time that they were just like, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. They're using my they're promoting my character there, so I'm not going to say anything. I mean, Denny O'Neill um, apparently couldn't get him to stop using Batman, and he's Denny O'Neill, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, Flash looks a little different in this episode than he will on Justice League. He's mm-hmm. uh, he's a little bulkier. His his uh the circle on his chest has a black thick black ring rather than a yellow ring that the the animated the justice league series will, will give him and uh and uh, one weird thing about this that Andrew rewatched this with us yeah. pointed out too and I noticed it too I don't know if it was on purpose or I, it was a mistake but they kept drawing one of, or coloring one of his the wings on wings his, white, yeah, white, yes, and it's. Yes. I don't know if that was supposed to be to illustrate that it's metal and it's catching light, but I, I think it's, 
I think it's an error. It just looks incomplete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it looks yeah. it looks like you know it's like the inverted bat symbol on the Super Friends, mm-hmm. you know, over and over. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but uh, so yeah, the race begins. I mean, they're they're there at the beginning of the race, and Flash, you know, shows up. He fakes Superman out with a high five, and uh, you know, he, he's like too slow, and Superman stumbles and. I, I like that the creators weren't above making Superman look silly, at least temporarily. But then he always gets his cool back, like yeah. when he clotheslines Flash when he's running around him, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, unfortunately, they forgot this in season one of Justice League. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they just nerfed him constantly on. But we've we've beat that drum to death, so we'll let that go. Uh, Although I couldn't help but chuckle thinking about coming on to this show uh, I don't want to jump ahead, but the the scene where the where Flash runs into the runs to the Weather Wizard's hideout and he gets struck by lightning. Yeah, I'm like, am I going to see Superman get struck by electricity? Because electricity is bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's evil. Electric- it's evil. Electric- it's evil. <laughs> evil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Flash hits on Lois. Uh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. which I mean, it's Dana the Lady. Why wouldn't you hit on Dana the Lady? But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cindy's giving me a look. Uh, <laughs> I do like the, uh, the Flash's line of man of steel, feet of lead. That's, <laughs> that's, yeah, <laughs> that's a great put down. But, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I did point out that the mayor is voiced by future Jean Jones, Carl Lumbly. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, he's the only cast member of this show who will be a regular on Justice League and Justice League Unlimited because oh, yeah. Tim Daly <laughs> doesn't come back as Superman and Charlie Schlater doesn't come back as the Flash. And, uh, yeah, so I don't you know when I realized that that, that was Carl Lumley, um, I now have made part of my head canon that so, at some point the Martian Manhunter was trolling around the DC animated universe, disguising himself as different people. Yeah, <laughs> and so now I'm going to be looking at different episodes of Batman the animated series and Superman. It's like maybe that could be the Martian Manhunter. I mean, just like <laughs> you know, that would have been an awesome thing for them to do. How Carl Lumley like voice random characters. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, I can do that. That's head cannon. I love that. that. That's great. I mean, you know, it's and and you know, of course, you know, if it was, if he really was the Martian Manhunter, he might have noticed that it was Mark Martin in disguise that put the armbands on. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Superman that's true. Flash, but but maybe not. He doesn't like to pry, <laughs> so he's not going to read everybody's mind, right? We we he we establish that later that he does not yeah. like to do it. He's. You know, he's like Spock in that way. He doesn't like to mind meld with everybody, you know. So, <laughs> and, if, and if you believe uh, the Snyderverse, he likes to ignore uh, wanton destruction of entire cities and uh, not to reveal himself until later. But yeah, anyway, yeah. So, exactly. <laughs> not to, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to break the, uh, the, what was the BBS, BBS accords, accords there? I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't. I guess that accounts for the the Snyder cut of the Justice League too. I guess anything Snyder it, it covers. But yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll allow. We break them all the time. So you thank know. you. Thank it's you. like the Sokovia Accords. Who cares, right? We break them anyway. Mm-hmm. We're we're like Captain America. Exactly. We don't give a damn. Sure. Know, so. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we get uh, we get some nice when the race starts. We get some nice close ups of the heroes coming at us and racing, but. Uh, but I like how they show to scale. They'll show like a you know a, a far away like aerial view, and you just see like a red a red line and a blue line running across the map. It reminds me of the Indiana Jones movies that show the how the, <laughs> the airplane flights and you know across the maps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a nice nice little trick. So I do have mm-hmm. a question: Superman can run on water. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I mean, know. is he is he running on water like the Flash, or is he like? 
running and levitating. Hmm. <laughs> That's, I mean, if he's fast enough to keep up with the Flash, I guess he can run on water. But it's just not something you see yeah. very often. But uh, I don't know. Well, he, Superman doesn't need to do that. Um, as a matter of fact, it's a kind of a question like, why is he even bother, bothering to run to begin with? Why can't he just fly side by side with the Flash? I, I guess that's to make <laughs> it more fair that they're, they always run when they have these races, you know, like going yeah, back to yeah. Superman number 199 in the Silver Age, which was, uh, you know, the first Superman Flash race, which was written by, uh, Jim Shooter, who was, of course, a teenage fanboy turned pro at the time. It makes total yeah. sense that, a fan would be the one that goes, oh, why don't you guys have Superman and Flash race? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the stuffy, you know, shirt and tie DC guys back then were like, what's this kid know? You know, yeah, we'd rather, the kids would rather see Jimmy Olsen turn into a giant porcupine man, you know. Uh, so. <laughs> Little did they know that writers for decades later would be going back to that well again and again. Yes, you know? yes. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, to answer your question, um, I don't know. Um, I, and, yeah, I, I would assume that with Superman, if they had set rules that he had to run, that he then wouldn't be using his flight powers, at least not consciously. Right. Like, Superman wouldn't cheat. Right? Yes, yes. Um, right. Especially for charity. Like, if it came out, how horrible would it be, like, for a race for charity and it came out that Superman cheated during the race? I mean, that would be really horrible. Um, uh, but, but um, I, yeah, I'm thinking um, that I'm, I'm thinking he just ran across the water. You know, he was he was going able to go fast enough to do what the Flash does and run on, run on water. Speaking of running on water, there is that one moment where Superman, you know, takes off to, to go save the ship and Flash, like, he like literally stops and, and he's like, like standing on the water for a split second and then takes off again, which. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about the physics of that. I mean, maybe he's vibrating at super speed and he can do that or he's got enough. Uh, Andrew said maybe he's got enough, you know, kinetic energy built up that he can just stand there for just a split second before he takes off again. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. If you could buy that he can, you know, run on water, then maybe we shouldn't get picked. But I, it, it was a little Wally Coyote moment there for, for, you know. Yeah, yeah. For Flash. Well, and I'm not trying to over, I mean, see, for that moment, I'm not trying to offer a, a hyper explanation for it. But uh, as a Flash fan, especially with Wally's run, you got used to moments where he would be in speed mode, uh, but they would slow it down. And they do this for the TV show, too. They would slow it down. And he's moving what seems like regular motion for you as a viewer, you as the reader. Um, but he's actually going at incredible speed. So I'm, that may have been a moment where like, he stops, but for him, it may have been like just a f- fraction hyper fraction of a second for him yeah. because you know flash can he can think fast he can think at at, at super speed you know sure. so and maybe that was a moment where they were slowing it down I, i'm i'm think i'm putting way too much explanation on a on this like for this cartoon episode but that's how i would explain it if i was writing it i'd be like you know what he can he can he can this is a conceit we do for the viewer or for the reader so you can see what he's thinking and what he's doing, but he's doing it at at super speed, right? I that. So he, he may have stopped. He may have stopped to consider, hey, he's flying off. I better go help. 
but that for us, what may have been like a full second or two was really just a, a like a nanosecond or whatever, like infinitesimal small, infinitesimally small uh, fragment of time for him, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, you probably remember that um, that, that issue, uh, Chris, where he's in the movie theater um, issue of Flash, where and and there's a, a guy shooting up in the movie theater, shooting a gun. Yeah, um, and his speed kicks in because the bullet pricks the back of his neck, and now if he hadn't super speed, it would have gone through his neck and killed him. Yeah, but he goes into super speed, he's able to grab the bullet, and he's got to go around the theater trying to find the shooter, but also trying to find all the bullets that yeah. were being sprayed across the theater. And that was one of those moments where things get, get really slowed down. And that, that was for me a hallmark of Wally. I never, I don't remember ever seeing that too much with, with Barry. No, I, I but it happened that. all the time with Wally's. Yeah, that, that was, and it's pretty much what they did with Quicksilver in the, uh, the X-Men movie when he debuted in the, the time in the bottle scene. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. I, I love, I love that. Yeah. That's that. So yeah, I'll buy that. That's a good no yeah. prize. Yeah. So, uh, of course <laughs> our, our villain here is, uh, the weather wizard, Mark Martin. Uh, he is voiced and looks like actor and comic fan, Miguel Ferrer, who was the son of yes. Jose Ferrer and Rosemary Clooney. So he is also the cousin of George Clooney who played Batman and he's, yep. Uh, Miguel Ferrer was also the voice of Aquaman on Superman the Animated Series. So there's that. That's a family reunion. Aquaman and and Batman being cousins. So. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's best known for films like Traffic, RoboCop, and Iron Man Three, where he played the uh, the evil vice president of the United States. Uh, he played various other DC. Well, I don't know if he's evil, but he was you know working with Audrey Killian. He had reasons, but you know he was he ended up being a bad guy. Uh, he played various other DC characters over the years, such as John Jones in Justice League, The New Frontier, Vandal Savage on Young Justice, and as we said, uh, he played Aquaman. Uh, in the ju- unaired Justice League TV pilot, which uh, I helped, I and several other Fire and Water folks helped Shag cover on the JLI Wahaha podcast, he played the Weatherman, who is basically the Weather Wizard, just with a slightly different name, and that was produced the same year as this episode. So, uh, yeah, he was... Typecast as a weather wizard this year for whatever reason. So. <laughs> uh, but you know something, I, you know, this is going into the weeds of comics, uh, but his visual design, I remember seeing it at the, when, I, when it first came out, or when I first watched it back in the 90s, the visual design they chose for the weather wizard looks like a design that they used, that was used for Kronos in... Um, the Power of the Atom series that came out in the late 80s. That's right. They, and they were updating Atom, and they brought back Kronos, um, uh, and he had a new... I mean, they, they took away the, the classic white face mask that he always wore and gave him goggles like the like the Weather Wizard has in this episode, and also a green kind of a green onesie or whatever he's wearing. Yeah. And, um, and so I was like, wow, they... Of all the designs they could have chosen, they went with that one. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, so that, that was just an interesting little tidbit or maybe a not-so-interesting tidbit. Yeah, no, no, it's, then you're right. I hadn't even thought about it. Yeah, and when we see uh, Kronos on uh, the Justice League, he is in a modified version of his classic outfit. They keep elements sure. of it. Uh, but yeah, so they could have went with this if they hadn't already used it for the Weather Wizard. So yeah, <laughs> uh, Mark has a brother Ben who is the one who actually developed 
the weather device. He's not too happy to see that uh, Ben is testing is testing out the uh, the device uh, by turning their mountain uh, home into a winter wonderland outside. But uh, later on, uh, you know, when Mark tries to kill Ben, he doesn't stop and think about he has no problem using that device to try to kill him. And at that point, he's basically have has asked the government to track <laughs> his anomalies. So. Uh, not real smart there, Mark. That's just, <laughs> just <laughs> bring Superman and Flash right to his door. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, ben is voiced by Lauren Dreyfus, who is, uh, best known for the movie Skate Town USA. And he is, has appeared in several movies with his younger brother, Richard Dreyfus. So I thought that was kind of interesting that this was a, he's played by an actor who has a, a more famous brother. Uh, right. and, and you know, he is the oh. less famous brother of, uh, a supervillain. So I, I'm not saying Richard Dreyfus is a supervillain, uh, but <laughs> I like Richard Dreyfus. I, other than, you know, I know him and Bill Murray didn't get along in, uh, what about Bob? But, you know, Bill Murray's kind of a prickly character, I think. So I, I think that's more Bill Murray than Richard Dreyfus, I think. Mm. So <laughs> <laughs> I know Rob's like, how dare you say that about <laughs> Bill Murray? But let's, okay, you know. <laughs> Let's face it, more people have had trouble with Bill Murray than they've had with Richard Dreyfus, I think. So, uh, <laughs> uh, well, as we said, the general that uh, contacts, uh, that the Weather Wizard contacts is voiced by Mrs. C herself, Marion Ross, Mrs. Cunningham. So that's kind of an odd yeah. bit of casting, but she's, you know, she does fine. But, uh, so yeah, yeah. If, you, if you recognize her voice, then yeah, she's one of, one of our generation's favorite TV moms for sure. So certainly. Yeah. And I was puzzled by that because I'm like, why are you bothering to get Marion Ross and then giving her barely anything to do in the episode? All she really does is like sit behind a computer console and tell Flash and Superman where to go. Yeah. Like uh, I'm like, wow, if I was I mean, maybe they had plans to do something later on. Maybe there was an idea. Maybe we could use her you know, later on. And, you know, this is just kind of the introduction of her character. But I was like. You're going to like bring Marion Ross into your recording studio and that's all you're going to have her do. I'm like, okay. All right. Yeah. I don't know. It's been puzzling to me. I don't know if she was doing other Warner Brothers animated shows at the time and was available and, you know, possibly because, you know, they had quite a few shows running around this time on the the kids WB. And, and so maybe, maybe she, you know, picked this episode up because I know, you know, Ed Asner was doing, uh, when he did Superman the animated series and Justice, he was doing Freakazoid and other shows right, like that. So, right. yeah. So, so maybe she, maybe there's another WB show that I'm not thinking of that, yeah. that she did voice work on. But it is weird, somebody, yeah, that of a name value to to be there and 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 play kind of a. It'd be interesting to see if her character showed up again, but I don't think she does. Yeah. Like she would be an interesting character to have in the Cadmus arc. Right. On, uh, on Justice League. Oh, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, uh, well, I don't think we see her again, though. So, uh, we get yeah. J.K. Simmons, though. So who can complain? Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so what did you, what did you all think of how the weather wizard worked his magic in this version with the holographic globe and the wand? Comics. Comics. <laughs> I'm just like, but is that better? Yeah. Let me ask you this. Is that better than him having an actual wand like in the comics that can, like he just points it and they can make a storm, a tornado appear, or I mean, just comics. It seems a little, but I, I, <laughs> I think it seems like it's a little. It it is in no way like 
I, I think it's a little more sciencey uh-huh. than yeah. than the classic way. I mean, they they tried to make it a little more. Hey, you know, uh, uh, this this is you know, it's holographic. It's 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 a map. It's like somehow this this holographic map actually you know relates to the area of the the Earth that it's you know representing, and you just mm-hmm. kind of point and click. Uh, I, I think that I think that makes a little more sense that you know even though the Flash's villains were always more science based and Julius Schwartz would put Flash facts that were actual science facts trying to teach kids something when they were reading comic books <laughs> the Weather Wizard was pretty much magic wand you know I mean yeah so yeah. so it, this this uh, I think it I think it works what do you think Steve. Um, I, I'm putting it to you this way, Chris. One of the most striking images from my childhood, from watching cartoons, Saturday morning cartoons, was that episode of Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends where the X-Men first uh, guest starred on. Uh-huh. And it was when Storm flies up. She's she's going to try to be one of the ones that they were – the juggernaut was trying to attack uh, – uh, going after Charles Xavier, and they all decided to go at him one at a time instead of together. Like yeah. I, I never understood that tactic. Yeah. But Storm flies up, and she brings down like a storm and a hail of lightning onto him. And I just remembered like how it was animated and how what it looked. It just it just stayed with me mm-hmm. um, from that show, and, and and going into my adulthood, just one of those images that struck me. I, you know, it would have been nice to have something like that where he was more, the Weather Wizard was more hands-on like he is in the comics in that he needs to be present when he is creating the weather uh, phenomena and he's there to confront the actual heroes. We don't actually get a confrontation, face-to-face confrontation between the heroes and the villain until almost the end of the show. Yeah. And, uh... I, I, it, to me, it would have been made for more visual dynamics if, like, he appeared every once. I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I, how they set it up is how they had to do it. So I'm not like knocking the structure of the story. So that what they what they set up was fine and made sense within this within what they were trying to do. Um, for me personally, though, I always liked. You know, yes, it's a magic wand, but. You know, you knew when Weather Wizard raised his hand with that wand in the air, something was about to go down. You didn't know what was going to happen, but there was going to be a blizzard or a, a massive rainstorm or an earthquake or something. You know, it, you, you knew that was always like a symbol or a sign that he was about to um, pull some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so I, I, it's a shame that they couldn't have worked it out. So you got that kind of a visual uh, with this version of the Weather Wizard. Uh, with that said, you know, within within the story that they were telling, uh, it what they chose to do made sense. You know, yeah. so I, I'm, I'm not knocking it. No, no. And, and when Weather Wizard reappears on Justice League, he's using the wand just like the classic oh, yeah. version. So mm-hmm. we saw that in the episode hereafter, where right. he's mm-hmm. one of the people that with Toy Man kills Superman. You know. Uh, so yeah, so it, it, so they, they do get around to that eventually. So they just say, ah, it, they probably like the same way. It's like they overthought it in this one. And then Bruce Tim's like, ah, it's cooler if he's just there and he just, you know, can make it happen. You know, I sure. Can, yeah. I can totally, I can totally, it's kind of like the whole thing where they tried to overthink, you know, well, would he green lantern really make these silly things with his ring? And then they're like, no, it's really more fun if he makes silly things with his ring. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
always had a very good uh, reason why John Stewart, to my thinking, they gave in this within the animated series, they gave him a very good reason as to why he didn't do these constructs is because of his military background. Yeah. Uh, he was always going to be very uh, the take the best shot possible, like do it in the most efficient way possible instead of creating like an, an elaborate uh, uh, construct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Whereas Kyle Rayner would. Kyle Rayner right. would have totally, you know, because and, and uh, being an artist and having that visual sense, you know. I always liked it when – I always like it when an artist does – I don't mean to venture in the Green Lantern territory here, but now you got me on this tangent. Um, but I always like it when an artist is able to differentiate what different Green Lanterns will do based on their personality mm-hmm. and what, they, what they're what they going to create with the ring. Because you know, then the ring becomes an extension of who they are, and that's always kind of a cool thing for me. But anyhow. Yeah. No, no. I, I, yeah. I, I, totally, I totally get that. Yeah. Uh, and, but they eventually like relented and like, no, it, it is fun. Even though it, it made sense for John Stewart, we do want to see some constructs, <laughs> not just sure. bubbles and platforms and laser beams coming out of the ring, but, um, but even when they had to make constructs, it wasn't like this elaborate over the top. It always made sense with what he was trying to do. Yeah, know? definitely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I do have one question. It kind of ties in. I already mentioned this, but. You know, the Weather Wizard, one, he threatens the coast of Australia, which Superman and Flash are running right toward at the time. We see it on the map that they're they're running right toward it. So why threaten something that they could stop? You know, uh, that's one thing. But then another is why threaten Metropolis when you're like right outside of Metropolis? Why not threaten <laughs> some city on the other side of the world? Or, you know, on the other side of the U.S. I mean, he's wanting to mess with the U.S. military. I know, on the West Coast or something, you know, because, I mean, you know, he's literally right outside the city. If you can do it anywhere on the globe, why why bring him back to your door? (laughs) And why the city where Superman lives? You know, right. like pick some city where there's not uh, like the most powerful being in the world like lives there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But, well, uh, I think I can answer both questions for you, Chris. Okay. Um, the first one with Australia is because no one cares about Australia. Oh, oh. <laughs> Paul and Mike are just, if they were listening to this episode, they're like, oh, the heck. Uh, yeah. I joke. I joke to all my Australian friends out there. Well, I don't have any Australian fans because nobody cares about Australia. No, I'm kidding. Oh, um, <laughs> Somewhere Hugh Jackman is crying. Uh, then then my life is complete. Um, no, I'm joking, oh, of course. Don't be, don't be making fun of Hugh Jackman. He's my, no. <laughs> nope, it's fighting words. <laughs> no, no. Um, and uh, for Metropolis is because Metropolis continually has this bullseye on it. Yeah, you know, it's it's how many times has that city get gotten destroyed? I mean, yeah. the uh, insurance premiums must be through the roof what? to live in that in, in Metropolis. <laughs> Once Dark Side shows up, you're, they're just yeah. going to drop you. Period. No insurance yeah. company's going to cover you, right? <laughs> yeah, it's probably easy to destroy because they're probably still building from the last time it was destroyed. <laughs> so there's not like a whole lot of other buildings to knock down. So we might right? say, hey, let's go with the easiest city because they're always in the middle of construction there. You know. Uh, so that 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 would be my uh, tongue in cheek answers uh, to both those questions. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's funny. I, we do when when Superman saves the the oil tanker. I got especially considering what I just came off of covering with Rob. I got very strong Superman three vibes. No, uh, yeah, because yeah. he does pretty much the same exact thing Christopher Reeve did. Although I do wonder if it shows Flash. He's like, he's like, yeah, he's leaving a mess, and and then he runs around the oil and vortexes it up. But what what do he do with it? Because yeah, what did, I was wondering that myself. <laughs> Sealed up. Where's it going? I mean, did he did he put it? I mean, he I guess he could have put it like where they actually put the oil through wherever it is, like yeah. the, you know where they load the oil, like you know. Right. I, I yeah. guess he could, but they don't show that. But so it's just no. like he he whirls it up and it, what's he do? Just dump it somewhere else? He puts it on a beach? I don't I don't know, but it, it's not yeah. any better. The thing is, and, and I don't mean to rewrite uh, other people's work here. But I almost would have preferred, since you brought it up, you know, and mentioned it, it would have been neat to see just an episode where there isn't, maybe it, there's a weather, weather wizard in the background causing all these disasters. Or maybe there isn't a uh, anyone in the background causing everything. But in the midst of their running, they have to stop and help each other. Uh, avert disasters or to stop disasters for different things that are happening around the world, like that oil tanker spill. Yeah. You know, and it would have been a neat moment to see Flash put it in a vortex and bring up all that oil and, and Superman, like, do something to collect all the oil. Like, have the two of them, it would have been interesting to see them build a relationship, like, start off being, like, not adversaries, but kind of like Superman's irritated by the Flash and the Flash is kind of dismissive of Superman. And have the whole episode be about them kind of realizing, oh, th- this is a really decent, good person. I should, I can be friends with this person. I can be allies with this person. Yeah. And by the end of the episode, just have them come to that realization, which they already, which they kind of do, um, which is kind of, I think, one of the directions they were heading in or things they were trying to accomplish with the episode. But it, I, to me, it would have been a nicer thing to have. Um, of course, I'm, I'm, when it comes to, I'm more of a, you know, because I'm a literature nun, I teach English, I always like the character development and the things like that more so. I mean, um, you know, I teach the um, the comfort and joy episode hmm. uh, to my classes. I have, a, I have a lesson that goes along with that. Oh, I mean, that, 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 that episode is all about, you know, character development, which is something I always loved about the Justice League series, is that they were, weren't afraid of taking that time to let's do something with these characters, you know, that's interesting and uh, develop them and develop their relationships with one another. Um, anyway, so I don't, I don't mean to try to rewrite the speed demons episode, but it would, I, that, that would have been a nice thing to see like more of that. You know, I think, I think at the time it would have been a much more satisfying episode to me. Yeah. It could have been like a, 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 a day in a life type thing, mm-hmm. of, but they're, they're going across the globe together. So they see what each other does during the day. Yeah. That, that, I like that. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. I mean, I like this episode. It's great, but yeah, I actually think I might have liked that episode better. <laughs> well, that's my biggest problem with the whole episode because I'm sorry. Racing for charity is great and all that stuff, but why couldn't they have done like five or 10 laps that would take them like maybe half an hour? Versus a hundred laps, it's going to take them all day. You've got two of the biggest heroes in the world, and they're tied up doing a charity race for at least half a day, anyway. Yeah, I mean, but that you get into that whole thing. It's like you know when they, they you know when they show Superman that that you know with all the stuff that goes on in the world, it should, should you know, and I guess that's one thing they're doing now in the comics. I, I stopped reading it, but like you know, 
should Superman even be bothering being Clark Kent at the Daily Planet when right. you know he could be out uh, saving somebody and all that junk? But I, I don't buy that. I, I don't. I don't. One, it, it makes for crap stories, you know. Sure, <laughs> but, yeah. but but yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're you're right. I mean, they. I'm not saying don't do it, but not you know a hundred laps. It's like watching the Indianapolis 500. I mean, good lord, it's just doing doing doing. Like who gives a shit? <laughs> Hey, I've been I've I've been at the uh, when they did the Brickyard 500. I don't care. And, and uh, at the same mm. track when it was NASCAR. I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's it is kind of a. I mean, when you're watching, it's actually when you're watching on TV, it's more exciting than when you're watching. I mean, don't get me wrong, being there is exciting to a point, but it, at the same time, it's because I had a friend who had tickets. I'm not a NASCAR guy, but he, you know, he went. Hey, you want to <sighs> go with me? And I went a couple times, but no, uh, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Was it was a it, no? But I yeah. If you're I think not, I'd rather. Watch fripping golf. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, what what kind of level does I mean? Unless you know, I mean, nowadays they could like you know even more so than in the 90s, they could literally have cameras and drones and stuff set up to kind of mm-hmm. they couldn't track them, track them, but they could have like certain checkpoints they went by and kind of televise it. But yeah, at, you know, in, at this time, and they don't really show that, so it is kind of like. Well, what do people get out of this, you know, and, right. and, and how are they raising money for charity? Are they like, like, does each hero like, you know, have donations come in in their name? And like, if Superman's got more, Flash got more. And if, if Superman wins, I'll get this. <laughs> I just got an image. I'm sorry. I just got an image. You know how like kids would, uh, when they're doing like a marathon for whatever thing they're doing for school right. and they'll go around getting donations and people to sign up. I'll, I'll pledge $5 for every mile you do. Yeah. Right. I just got this image of, of Superman and Flash going door to door. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Would you sponsor me in my race around the world? <laughs> yeah, every time Superman gets a cat out of a tree or saves somebody, he's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm running a race this, this weekend. Uh, you know, would you <laughs> Would you care to sponsor me? You know, it's almost like, you know, buy some Girl Scout cookies or, you know, the Weather Wizard is probably, I mean, he's got to be one of the most ruthless villains we've seen on any of these shows up to this point because he has no qualms about killing his brother. Yeah. You know, if it jeopardizes his plans. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I think there was a part of me that kind of forgot that you see Superman and Flash save Ben because in my, in my head, I, I kind of thought, they just showed his Jeep going off the thing, but because because they kind of started to get away with that more if they didn't show it, show it. Well, I was mm-hmm. really surprised that Ben actually says, "I'm not going to be part of mass murder." Yeah, I mean, they actually use the word murder in a kids show, and I was just like, oh. "Yeah, it." They 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 things got a little more lax on the WB, uh-huh. and then when it got the Cartoon Network. It was, it, it depended on the day, it seemed like, if they right, could, right. you know, yeah. it kind of went back and forth, and Rich Fogel even brought that up. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, but yeah, he, I mean, he straight up has no problem, you know, killing his brother, and I, I like the fact that they established that the Flash tangled with Martin before, and he didn't recover the money that he stole. Right. And then you, that's how he funded Ben's idea uh-huh. here, and, uh, of course, you know, again, this is, we always bring this up on like every fire and water show and other podcasts too, not just us. But I mean, they invented a weather controlling device. I mean, couldn't they have just like <laughs> sold that to the governments of the world and made way more than $1 billion? Right. I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know, I know Mark, I mean, yes, Mark Martin used it. 
used illegal funds to do it, and maybe that's why he felt like, okay, I can't go sell this to anybody because I used the loot that I stole from the last right. time I tangled with the Flash. But so I guess come on, that- you know, you know the U.S. government. If you if somebody approached them and said, "Hey, look, I've got this weather control machine." I uh, built it with illegal funds, wink, wink, but we can forget about that, can't we? The government's going to be like, the military, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, well, just to pretend like this, we'll just ignore where it all came from, we'll make up a cover story, and uh, yeah, yeah, we'll take them, yeah. Exactly, yeah, Yeah. it's it's not, you know, I don't care if Cobra came up with this weather device, you know, which (laughs) they have done before, right? So I, I I don't care who came up with it, as long as you'll sell it to us and we can use it to stop the next hurricane or snowstorm that comes through yeah and yeah we'll we'll do it yeah uh (laughs) yeah uh it's you know we get to the part and we we brought this up you already you brought this up steve but you know they superman and flash make it to the uh uh to martin's hideout and uh he starts blasting them with electricity and Mm -hmm. uh i thought you know, with the Flash, you know, back then he just gets knocked around. It's kind of funny because it's a little tiny image of the Flash just get, like mm-hmm. getting knocked around. Nowadays, <laughs> he'd probably like absorb the lightning or something. Yeah. Because now mm-hmm. that, you know, they've got that whole, they've, the visual of the Flash being encircled by lightning as he runs has become such a thing. And I think that kind of started with, uh, was that, uh, Michael Ringo that really kind of started that? That kind of, the trail of lightning more than the after images. It seems like that might have been, around the time that he was drawing the Wally series, but I, I, I don't off the top of my head. I don't remember, but I do have images of Ringo art where that is happening. Yeah. So if he wasn't the first, he was, he definitely carried on that notion in his work. Yeah. And I, I think, I think nowadays, you know, it's like, I mean, I know they've got on the CW show. I, I haven't watched it the last couple of seasons, but he was like literally like throwing lightning and stuff, you mm-hmm. know, so I, I feel like now the, the they'd have the Flash like absorb some of this, maybe even like absorb it off of Superman when he was getting yeah. shocked or or something. But uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know they get knocked yeah. around and Superman does the drill through the ground bit, which is I always love to see because you know I saw I've always loved that since I saw it in the first Superman movie yeah. in the theater. So. <laughs> and, and you know what? I, I love that moment too, and I know it's Superman's show. So yeah, give him that moment. But I go back to what I said earlier. Why couldn't they give the Flash the moment where he creates the Cyclones with his hands to save Ben Martin? You know, why does he just get just have him catch him? Like, I mean, come on! You gave Batman, you gave Superman that really cool moment of like spinning around and drilling. Give Flash something like that to do. Yeah. Oh they, well. Yeah, yeah, they they didn't they didn't really. I mean, they then they unfortunately they when they get frozen in ice, we see Superman uses heat vision and escape. But then when he gets out, he looks around to say Flash, and Flash is already out. And he's like, yeah, I vibrated my way out. And it shows the big ice block in a, in a shape of his body. But it's like, you know, one of the cool things about the Flash is seeing how he uses his superpowers. I mean, that's... Exactly. You know, and, yeah. and, and, you but know, this is a Superman show. Yeah, it is a Superman it show. It is. It is. So, yeah, but I just, you know, and like, and like Steve said... You know, that stuff's kind of hard to animate, you know, but I yeah. mean, that was one of the cool things about on the, the John Wesley ship live action show was like the first time he ever would do something like, oh, he's going to like, I remember the, the one time he vibrated through a wall. I think he was, 
he'd been drugged by some villain or something on there and he like sped up to and he like went through the wall and he's like whoa i've never done that before right you know and it's like oh <laughs> now in season two he's going to start vibrating through walls and we didn't get a season two so yeah, <laughs> but uh yeah it's uh yeah I, I we get inside and you know um Mark Martin's, you know, he's got the line, your power is nothing compared to mine, to Superman. But see, Mark, that's, that overconfidence, that gets mm-hmm. you whooped every time. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> don't say things like that. <laughs> if you hadn't said it, you might have won. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know. Yeah. And you'll say that to Superman. I'm like, does he, does this guy not have a TV? I mean, <laughs> how does he not know how incredibly powerful Superman is? I, I don't uh, know. He's, he's picking on Metropolis, you know, like we said. <laughs> Um, the flash, you know, he comes through the tunnel that Superman made and I, we have to point this out because in the episode of justice league paradise lost, we covered in season one, they reuse this scene uh-huh. where flash is running toward weather wizard and knocks him out because, and we pointed that out because they were in an ancient cave, uh-huh. uh, I think under paradise Island, I believe yeah, so. it's under paradise Island or Themyscira and, and, uh, <laughs> all of a sudden, the Flash's costume slightly changes, and there's a computer. There's computer banks in the background. He's inside a building. Yeah, <laughs> really. I didn't go back and watch that episode. I didn't realize they'd done that. Okay. Yeah, that's like the they use explosions and things like that. Over you can, and a lot of times they'll lay them over top of another image. But this yeah. is the only time I know it's of lifted that, that it's like completely yeah. lifted from a, a previous series. And, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't know what happened there that that they like maybe the animation for that moment came back bad from the, you know, overseas uh, studio. And they well, we got to do something. Oh, well, let's reuse the scene, you know, uh, from <laughs> Speed Demons. But <laughs> wow. OK. <Huh>. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you guys think of the big action climax, Steve? Meh. Um, <laughs> I, I, it was one of those. It was very anticlimactic. Like all the all the exciting moments in the episode we'd already seen. Uh, from my thinking, um, it's uh, at that point in time. I, I, I it was. I know. I kind of knew where it was going, and so I mean, I, I knew it had to happen. I didn't think it was bad. I'm just like. If I was going to like go back and watch clips of this episode, I would go back to Superman and Flash uh, saving the tanker or when they get frozen or um, when they first do their start their run. You know, and there's little really cool moments where they're running around and they are, um, you know, it's just really cool visuals. This moment, I was like, this uh, didn't really capture me in terms of any kind of excitement or uh uh, any sort of like stakes in it. Cause I was like, okay, they're going to, they're going to knock him out at some point. And yeah, of course the machine's going to go haywire because every high tech machine in every uh, comic book <laughs> story yeah. goes haywire at some point. And it's like, okay, I, this is all, I, I was just, I was just waiting for the last couple dominoes to fall at this point in time in the show. Not bad. Um, but it just wasn't anything like to me, like I said, all the exciting stuff came beforehand. What do you think, Cindy? Same, same. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of feel like, you know, it, it, when, when the, you know, and I, of course, I've seen this episode many times before, but what, rewatching it again, I felt like when the wand went nuts and just started zapping the globe, I felt like there should have been like all these uh, horrible weather events happening across the globe. Oh, yeah. And then they should have mm-hmm. had to do something more drastic to, to, uh, to stop it. I don't know what that would have been, but, 
but yeah, but no, it just, it just blows up real good. You know, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the whole house just blows up and they get them out, you know, in times. Yeah, it's almost like they should have like, uh, had that confrontation, like almost at the start of the episode. Yeah. And the rest of the episode is Flash and Superman trying to stop the other disasters. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, okay, you go this way and I'll go that way and you do X. I mean, just having, and having them coordinate as they go along and finally, like, them having to come together to avert like the big mother disaster that's happening like somewhere in Australia because no one cares about Australia. Oh, uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh. Please note it was Mr. Gibbons who says this, not the Franklin. I think uh, Paul and Mike are going to have all hate mail directed to him. Paul and Mike are going to have dial F for something else, not flanger uh, for you, Steve. Uh, but uh, I don't know. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> No, I, I totally kid. I, okay. I have no, I have no uh, animosity towards Australia. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now you're backpedaling, huh? Hey, you know that's what Lex Luthor wanted from Zod, Australia. You know, so it's got to be pretty good, right? So, uh, um, so yeah. With the episode ends, they drop Martin off at the prison, and uh, I do love Superman's closing remarks to Flash. You know, it's like when I first met you, I thought you were a hyperactive jerk. But you're all right, you know. Just like you know. <laughs> so, so they take off for the race. So, I gotta ask, who do you think's faster, Steve? Oh, Flash. Okay. A- anybody who thinks differently is wrong. That's right. um. <laughs> well, yeah, I think even with um that first race they had. Uh, back in the Silver Age, it, it was established that the Flash was like one fraction of a second faster than Superman. Isn't, isn't that how it ended? Or uh, I, you know? I think the first couple times they ended in a draw, and then okay, and, and then but but I I think the the idea was that yeah, uh, and I think partially that was in because it was in Superman's title they didn't give him a win yeah. win, and then they did one in the Flash, and then they did one in World's Finest when it was a Superman team up title, and I think in that yeah. one. The Flash won, but by that point they weren't running like they were literally dragging themselves across the ground to stop some intergalactic device that was going to, you know, destroy the universe or something. But Flash mm. reached the device and, and turned it off first, you know, or something like that. So, but I, I think when they've r- actually ran since then, the Flash has won because I mean that's the Flash's thing. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, yeah. He, if he's not the fastest man alive, then. What's the point? You know, exactly. <laughs> it's in his tagline. Exactly. Yeah, it's in his yeah. tagline. It's the name of his book, right? You know, it's yeah. like, right? So. No, if I remember correctly, I think that when Wally and Superman first ran, raced against each other in the 80s or 90s, yeah. Um, they, it was like a, it started as a charity, uh, but it got usurped by Mr. Mixelplick, I think. Uh, yes. Uh, and Flash won. Wally won. Uh, that race fair and square because he at first thought Superman had thrown the race because it ends up Mixelplake had tried to lie or something crazy like Superman thought that he had to win the race and Flash thought he had to win the race or something I don't remember the whole details of the plot but I remember the conversation between the two because Wally was angry he's like I so you knew the whole time that you had to lose so you lost the race and Superman was like, no, I didn't know. I was giving it all I got. You legitimately won there at the end. So for me, I'm like, that was definitive. Okay. Of course, this is post-crisis. Superman was powered down. And uh, and so, you know, that made sense that Wally would be faster. Yeah. Um, But I think now they've established in the comics that 
definitively the Flash is faster than any other living creature or something along those lines. Yeah, and I mean, that was before, I think Wally had gotten some of his speed back from just running speed of sound, but that was before, yeah. definitely before he tapped into the speed force and became exactly you know, godlike. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, he could totally run rings around Superman now. Yeah. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I always figured the flash had to be faster. I mean, that's just, uh, you know, it, it's a fun concept, but you know, and I mean, of course it made it into live action at the end of the justice league movie and mm-hmm. where they take off to, to race. And also on, uh, the flat or on the CW shows, I can't remember Supergirl or the flash, but, uh, Supergirl and flash, of course they're big buddies on there and they, they race, uh, you mm-hmm. know, for fun. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just something that just, it's always fun to see, but I think, yeah, it, it's gotta be the flash. That's, that's his thing. Superman's got so many other things that he can be the best at, but, uh, yeah. Let, let Flash have this, you know, come on. So, <laughs> uh, well, Steve, I want to thank you. We want to thank you very much for stopping by. We've, uh, uh, we've had a blast talking to you about this. We definitely will have you on call for other Flash centric episodes. If you don't want to do Panic in the Sky, it's too much for you. We understand, but we'd love to have you back. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely, definitely reach out to me. I'll, I would actually, I would love to talk about that episode. So if you ever, if you want to have me back for that one, Absolutely ask me. I, I just don't make any promises about my emotional state during the course of the <laughs> Hey, that's okay. That's, that's what we want. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely one for the feels, you know, so, uh. Oh, you want me to be upset and bear my soul and cry on this podcast, Chris? <laughs> yes. What? Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, well, see, Rob. Rob's got the Rob's got the interview part of the Barbara Walters thing, so we've got to get the emotional. Got to make you cry, right? We can't get Jamie Farr and Mike. Farrell, That's but, true. But we That's can make true. Steve cry. You know. So. <laughs> well, just for you, I will make sure that happens. Okay. Okay. Well, and and, and down the road, like last season, we'll have to do uh, Flash and Substance with the Flash Museum. That episode. Oh I'm, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a great one. I love, mm-hmm. love, love, love that episode so much. <laughs> That's Good one of my deal. actual, one of my favorites of the whole series. So, yeah. so thanks again for stopping by. Where can folks find you out on the interwebs and the socials and all that stuff? Um, gosh, people ask me that every time I'm on one of these shows. I'm like, I don't have much of a presence uh, <laughs> anywhere on the internet. Um, I, you can find me on Facebook. If you're friends with me, you can, I mean, if, you, if we have mutual friends, you can, uh, friend me or find me. I'm, I have security up because I don't want students finding me. Lord, um, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, I am, uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, it's a givens blog. Uh, I have a, I did a, I was keeping a blog on Blogspot called It's a Givens. Um, if you want to go there and take a look at my, um, like old poetry and other writings and stuff, I did go for it. I haven't kept it up in years though. Uh, but sure, go take a look at it. Maybe they'll inspire me to you know, get back at it or something. Um, probably not. So I make <laughs> promises. Um, please, I'm a teacher. I have no time during the year. No. Which is, ironically, I love to read and write. And because I'm a teacher of trying to teach how, uh, kids how to read and write, I can't do it on my own. That, that's the irony of my existence. 
Um, gotcha. So I'm on the uh, Twitter and and Facebook. Uh, I am constantly on the uh, Fire and Water page, making uh, comments here and there, uh, different shows that I, wa- I listen to, and of course, I've been on a, a, a number of episodes uh, of the different podcast shows that are on the network. It's always a good good time to to jump on and uh, talk to you guys, and uh, you know, just to talk about all this nerdy stuff that I don't get a chance to talk about too often. Well, we're, we love having you and your mm-hmm. dance card is, you know, you've been punched. <laughs> I think you get a free lunch now or something, right? I think that's how that works out. So we'll punch in. No, and then... no, you, you guys are too cheap. That's not going <laughs> to oh. That's right. No, I do. <laughs> no, please. Rob made me clean up his Rob cave just so I could be on fade out. You know, I, right, I, that's I stopped right. by for a visit and he'd like, no, I'm joking. He didn't make me clean. <laughs> that became the joke. Yeah, uh, but that's I mean, right. That's right. Uh, you guys got yeah. to meet in person. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, we live very close. He actually, uh, that was the second time we've met. He actually came down with his uh, lovely fiance, Kelly, uh, down my way. I live in uh, southern Delaware by the beaches. And mm. uh, they came down uh, for the day. And he just said, hey, we're here. You want to meet up? I was like, yeah, okay. It was the middle of the summer season. It was crazy busy. I'm like, why do you want to come to the beach during the height of the summer season? What is wrong with you? But um, anyway, that's a, that, that, that's that's a local talking. Like, if you're a local, you avoid the beaches like the plague. Gotcha. In the height of the summer season. But anyhow, I got to meet them and their lovely dog, Pippa, who is a really cute little uh, pooch. And uh, then I met him again when I was coming back from New York. I, I stopped by uh, their place in Jersey. And I met, I've been able to meet um, the Sutherlands and uh, Tim Price, uh, friends of the network. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to meet Shag. Um, one that would <laughs> Nobody's ever how- ready to meet Shag. It just, <laughs> it just happens. So that would, that would entail me having to travel to Florida, for one, which I don't want to do. Uh, and two, uh, you know, just, you know, it's uh, – uh, I, Shag is. I, I think you have to keep him. Um, like it's almost like he's like. I'll, I'll give him a compliment. He burns too brightly, like the sun, and you can't look at him directly. You have to. <laughs> you have to. You have to like uh, look at him like you're looking at an eclipse as like a reflection or an image. <laughs> <laughs> you should see the space that he's making. She's met Shag many times, so yeah. <laughs> Well, no, I, I am going to be doing a one-on-one JLI podcast show with Shag, so that's oh, cool. coming up uh, sometime in the next few years or whenever he's going to get around to it. Before <laughs> um, breakdowns yeah. is over, right? Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, uh, but, Steve. Yeah. Steve, yeah. It's, it's been great, and and uh, we'll definitely have you back on the show. And again, it's it's great to talk to you. And uh, I yeah. think that'll wrap things up here. We're going to take a quick break, and then Cindy and I'll jump back in and wrap the show up. Martin's going to have to be a real wizard to get out of there this time. You know, Flash, this morning I thought you were just a hyperactive jerk. But you're okay. Give me five. No! Too slow. (laughs) Hey, we never did settle who's the fastest man alive. No, we never did. On your mark... Get set. (laughs) 
Well, that'll do it for our first episode back. Thanks to all of you all for listening and for sticking with us over our hiatus. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For information on how you can support the Fire & Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Extra special thanks to Jorge Luis Castillo, Matt Ryan, and Neil Whitney for specifically supporting JLUcast. You guys rock. Yes, thanks, guys. You are tried and true members of the Justice League. You'll get your signal devices in the mail. Well, you won't, but, you know, you can imagine you do. Yes. Uh, We originally planned on having a few more pre-game special episodes before getting into JLU proper, but you know what? We just can't wait. We will cover those subjects later this season as they come up. So join us next time as we begin our coverage of Justice League Unlimited. Woohoo! Yes. See you then. Bye. JLU Cast is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide and is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue mommy and daddy. Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at firewaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLUcast.